so excited because this is episode 51 which means next week is episode 52 which means i have completed a full year's worth of blabbing my name is melanie with two l's because the spelling of your name doesn't change from one week to the next welcome to the show if it's your first time and if it's not your first time welcome back i'm grateful to have you either way so next week i'm not gonna have a guest what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna do um like a year in review sort of thing But if you're wondering what that music was at the beginning, it is the music of my fantastic, amazing, outrageously talented guest, singer-songwriter, actress, model, and former tennis star, Susie Abramite, who is amazing. Um, We talked a lot. (laughs) We talked about life and art and grief and love and just everything. And I had the best time chatting with Susie and I could have gone on and on and on. Like we talked for a solid couple of hours. So you're getting a long episode and I really hope you do sit through the whole thing because there's a lot to unpack. So there's a lot to learn. Um, if you need to, you can, you know, pause and come back to it, but I highly recommend listening to the whole thing. Um, I'm not going to keep talking because this is, I'm excited about this episode and I'm excited for you to hear it. So um, here is Susie Hibbermite and me. Hello. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm okay. I have like a weird, they said it was allergies. I don't know. I think it's an infection. So I have like my eyes like watering. I'm like, I can't put mascara on. So I've tried to glue eyelashes on for like four hours and they finally stuck. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just, I'm getting situated. That's horrible. I've had, um, I had something similar happen. I had uh, like, but it was like my whole face and body, like semi-anaphylactic shock. Like where it was like, my tongue started to swell. It was just hives over my body. And like, my lips were like, it was like I was a woman who couldn't say no. And you also had that thing with your nose where you couldn't smell? Yeah, no, um, yeah, that was actually just different from COVID. That was like post-COVID. But no, yeah. this happened uh this happened like a year and a half ago. And, oh, okay. Uh I was like flying to Australia. So it was like in the middle, like I, I was going to film and just like my face blew up like completely like uh Will Smith and Hitch kind of deal. Oh. Speaking of Will Smith, you worked with Will Smith. I did. Yeah, he I was also amazing. did. <laughs> when did Why you see that? I did Suicide Squad, but my scenes were also cut. <laughs> really? That was just like a really, it was just a bit part. And I know you had a part in um, King Richard that yeah. got cut. Yeah. And you used to play tennis. I did. I did. So how this cool was that? This was not, um, yeah, this was not tennis. This was, uh, weirdly, I was playing uh, the real life Robin Finn, who was a New York Times uh, reporter who interviewed uh, Serena and Venus, like right before, like they started to make it. So, um, yeah, when I went into that audition room, um, you know, I, I just, I started explaining the casting director as like, this is my life. Like this was my life as a kid. And 
you know, it's like I grew up with these people, like every, like all all the people, like Rick Macy and, um, you know, and like I, I mean, I actually, I, I didn't meet Serena and Venus until later, but probably when I was like seventeen or sixteen, like I met I met Richard, and oh. he was so interesting, and he's, I mean, he's exactly like, I mean, there's so many incredible stories about Richard. Um, I remember hearing this, that he, uh, and he would always be at like the Delray Tennis Center. So I would see him there all the time. And um, we'd occasionally, or I, I chatted with him before, but another friend of mine had spoken to him about, um, he was kind of, I mean, like ridiculously a genius. Like he knew he was going to have two, like he said he wanted to have daughters. He wanted to have two tennis champions, like one and two in the world. Like, doesn't even know how to play tennis. This is before they were born, before he even had girls. He had decided this is what he was going to do. And then when um, Serena or Venus started to make it really big and they had this like huge, um, I think, or it was actually, no, it was Serena. Um, Serena or Venus, and I, I can't remember if it was Nike or Reebok, I guess, but um, he... Basically, so like this is right when the girls were starting to do really well and people were like, oh, my God, they're going to be the, you know, this big sensation. And right before his meeting with like his like their their sports agent, because um, they were going to get this like potential deal with Nike or Reebok, one of the big ones. And they're at McDonald's and they're eating. And all of a sudden he just like puts ketchup all over his shirt. And the agent's like, what are you doing? You can't, like, go into a meeting like that. He's like, no, you can. He's like, they're never going to see you coming. So, um, like, you know, their, their guards will be down, and they'll think you're an idiot. And so that way I can actually negotiate and get a better deal, you know, and, like, negotiate harder. And so that was really interesting. And it, I think they got, like, the highest negotiating deal ever. I mean, I and I heard that, like, back – 20, 20 some years ago. The fact that you look like you're 25. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I was five. I was five when I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember watching tennis. I was really into men's tennis because I had such a crush on Andy Roddick. Oh my it God. Wow. It was we horrible. Grew- yeah. We grew up together. We, um, we were buddies. Um, yeah, we, I met him, gosh, I think I met him at like the Easter Bowl and he, we were 12 and he was uh, dating one of my like best friends in the tennis world at the time. And I remember see, like seeing him and there was sort of this like electricity and I was like, oh my God, who's that guy? Like I had no idea like that he was, we, and it was interesting because we both went, we got chosen for Challenge Cup, which was like a small group of kids that get chosen as the top 50 people in, in the country as 12 year olds and they pay for everything and they fly you to Boca Raton and kind of like check out to see who's, you know, going to be the next great, you know, hope for America. And um, yeah, so actually, wait, it might've been challenge cup. It was either challenge cup or Easter. Yeah. It might've been challenge cup where I saw him anyway. So yeah, that's where he was. uh, He had a girlfriend, um, Courtney something, I think. Anyway, and so from there, I think we became friends, and then, 
Yeah, over the years, we went to the same school. We actually, I was recruited by his coach when I was 12. So Stanford, uh, his coach at the time, like, had recruited me. And then, um, so I moved down there to, like, Boca Raton, Florida. And he was training, and Stanford was training me full-time. And so I would see Andy, like, every day because, like, we would be, like, doing, like, homeschooling and getting into, like, mischief. And, and then, um, and then Stanford really wanted to focus with Andy full time because so I was down at Everett Tennis Academy. And then uh, he took Andy to kind of do his own thing. But then we all went to this school Boca Prep and um, yeah, Andy, Andy and I went to uh, prom together and he was the first boy to tell me I, he loves me. <laughs> Yeah, we we dated for like a few months or something. And there was sort of this like on and off thing. I mean, like very cute, very sweet, very like when, you know, we were like 12 to, I don't know, like 16 to 18, you know. His retirement like broke my heart because I always wanted him to get to that like number one in the world. And it's just like he never did, but, but it didn't, he couldn't sustain it. It was like he never it was always like, what's his name? Roger Federer was coming in all the time. And I was always like, no, but no, I loved, I, I also, um, someone that I dated when I was young, he just retired from professional sports from NHL hockey. And I'm oh, like, wow. okay, so I'm old now, I guess. <laughs> That's what I, happened. <laughs> I can't believe you went to prom with Andy. That's insane. Yeah. We went to prom. I was 16 and um, it, it was like one of those, God, it, was, it was so one of those things where we, I'm trying, like, it, like at the time I thought he was so cute, but I was like, oh no, he's dating my friend, like whatever. And then they <laughs> broke up. And then a year later we started hanging out. And I, I think I liked the older boys at the time. And so he invited, I think, was it Saddlebrook? He had, or my other friend, Meredith Atwell, who like, and we, the three of us hung out. And I remember like Andy was hoping that, you know, we could date or something. And I just wasn't into it. I was just like, "Ah, I don't know. Like I was into this like other guy who was like older and it, and I think he was like kind of heartbroken. It was kind of really, it was so sad. And, and then, um, and then shortly after, I was recruited by his coach because at that point we were just like, oh, my God, he's like my best friend. We're so similar. Like we have so much in common. And, you know, we're like two do like goofy kids, like just kind of ridiculous. And so he uh, um, so that's when I was recruited. And then I started to like him. And then he was like, yeah, like it was sort of this like. And then I was like, all right, fine. And then I started dating his friend, Jeff. Actually, Jeff and I uh, still keep in touch. But um, And so I started dating his friend, Jeff. And then I think, like, Andy, then it was, like, sort of this, like, oh, no, how come we're not dating? And so this, like, ridiculous back and forth of, like, you know, until finally, like, four years later of, of dating, you know, some, like, older boys, like, in, in high school and being, like, ugh, I don't like them. And Andy, through it all, like, we were still, like, so close and still, like, such good friends until we're finally, like, should we, you know? And, yeah, he was, we were very smitten with each other. <laughs> His retirement is probably the second hardest athlete retirement for me ever. Cause I just, I loved watching him. And then Tom Brady retired for 40 days and I wanted to die. <laughs> I love him. He's just, he's someone that I think across all, like everything that 
no matter if it's sports, acting, whatever. He's really someone who ha- who has proven and shown people like me and probably people like yourself that no matter how many times they tell you no, if you tell them yes enough times, then they're going to just eventually give you, you know, what you want. And I know you've worked really, really hard um, to get to where you are, especially considering you had two options. You could have went tennis and you chose acting. Why? Um, I mean, that's like a longer story, but I think like I was always the artsy kid growing up. I mean, when I was five, I was like writing stories. Interestingly enough to bring it back to Andy (laughs) when we were, no, but I mean, like there's, there's actually something really interesting about, we just knew, I knew that I was going to be an actress and I knew like I was going to be like, I'm going to be on a TV show and like, I'm going to be like, (laughs) you know, I'm going to be in the movies and whatever. And he was like, I'm going to be one in the world. And we were like 16 and having these conversations. And, um, I remember when we were like dating at this time, like 16. And I remember like looking like he went to go like get a like glass of water or something. And I, and I saw on his desk, it said, I will be number one in the world. I will be number one in the world. Like over and over and over and over. Like I will win the U S open over and over and over and over and over again. <clears throat> and I, and I, and I thought to myself, cause there were times when, you know, we would chat and he would be going through, like, he's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if it's possible. Like, I don't like, I think I should just quit. Like I hate tennis. It was sort of that Andre Agassi of like, I, I, I freaking hate it. You know, that part where it's like, I just want to do it for my, like, he's one of the most competitive people I've ever met. Um, and I think that was like the, the part of him that like could push forward through those fears because there was a time when we were dating and like his back, like he, he was having really like problems with his back for like the last like several months. And he's like, I don't know if this is going to happen for me. Like if it doesn't happen soon, then I'm going to have to quit and like whatever. And just like, I re- that was actually a pivotal moment in my personal life of like seeing how he was able to manifest something. Cause I, I sort of mirrored what he did where I was like, wow, he's, he's believing it's happening before it even happened. Like he's like committing himself to have this mindset that it's already happening. And I mean, and so like when I was a kid, I don't think that part of me was ever really encouraged. I mean, it was encouraged, like, because I was a really good artist. Like, I would, you know, tell stories. But I think, um, you know, the narrative around art was you can't make any money. Like, that's not, it's nepotism. There's there's nothing you can really, you know, like, that's from rich families. Or it's just, that's not something, you, you know, anyone outside of, the art world or acting can do. Like it was just so foreign. Um, and so I was about five, six and I just five, six years old when I think, you know, my mom and just really encouraged me to be like, wow, she's such a great artist and she's so great at telling stories, like, like writing stories and like painting and drawing and this whole thing. And so my teachers would constantly encourage this. And I was always like, you know, I was also this athlete. So you know, um, my father, he was like a world-class like ski racer and had me growing up on skis, like when I was two. So, uh, so I was doing like ski racing and I was like ranked in new England. Like this is before the whole tennis thing happened. 
And, you know, it's only, it's like a part-time, um, so skiing was only like on the weekends and it was, it, it wasn't something that you could really nurture because it was only, uh, like five months out of the year, <laughs> six months, you know? And so you couldn't really, I guess, perfect it unless you were living on a mountain to be really, really good. And, um, and so with, you know, and so I, I was kind of pulled in these directions of like ski racing and then um, when I was about nine, I was sort of having trouble, like, finding my footing and finding, like, where I fit because I wasn't this, like, super girly girl. You know, I was my own, like, I was, like, this feral animal artist athlete thing that you could not place in, in any box. And I was, like, totally boy crazy, but the boys at that point uh, at nine thought girls had cooties. So there was, like, this, like... <laughs> It literally was a no man's land. There was like, there was no boy anywhere that just wanted to hang out. And all the girls were super catty and mean. And I, it, it was just horrible. Like it was like my best friend had moved away and she was, she was as rambunctious and mischievous and loud as I was and wild and goofy. And so like my um, lifeline to like feeling, um, kinship and connection with someone like was gone so now and then I think my mom had put me in like uh tennis so then it, when I was nine it kind of happened simultaneously where my mom started to like let's throw something against the wall and see like how we can get Susie out of this funk because she's not you know I was having a tough time like my I just had like a shitty teacher who <laughs> looked so <laughs> creepy he had a weird mustache and would sing songs and just be all fucking creepy and I uh, I'll never forget it I just I was just always like I feel like you diddle kids <laughs> like it's just you know he just he just oh I did not like him and he so weird we uh, total sidebar but interesting we would he would have these diaries for us that we would have to write all this personal shit which is so inappropriate and so right? I was like all right fine this is a diary and so I had, like, I met this, like, I finally felt, like, loved by this, like, uh, one of my friends at the time, her brother, he was, like, two years older in fifth grade, and he really liked me and wrote, like, he was my first kiss, and he, like, he, like, reached out, and, you know, it was so cute. He, um, he like, walked me home from the bus, and we had our first kiss, and he also, like, gave me Valentine's Day gifts and, like, said, I love you in this card. And so I was so happy because it was like the first light moment in my, like at this point in like all of third grade, because it was third grade was just horrible. Like teachers were mean, like kids were mean. And this one thing in my life felt actually beautiful. And I was like sharing it. And he was like, this is so inappropriate. How dare you? And I was like, it's a diary. What, what, this is so confusing. And it was so weird. And that teacher had called, he like brought my, um, mom at like mom in for like teacher conference and he's like I'm a little concerned about Susie she's like she looks like a waif she's so like it was like horrible so my mom was like screw that teacher and so she put me into like acting camp in this like act like this art camp where we would you know do pottery we would build sets we would be on set like we would be doing skits we would practice acting we would be in like plays and I just this was like my home you know, and this is at the time where I was being also pulled in tennis and um, I was naturally just really good 
like the second time I ever played, I had three coaches come on my court. Like, um, like they, they all came to my court and started watching me play. And they're like, she's never played before. How is this possible? Three coaches. And I had never at that point, I think, you know, it was so interesting. Like, I feel so sad from that little child who like felt like so lonely and so sad. And so, and so I think at that point there was all this like attention and, you know, people were marveling at what I could do. And that was something really cool. And so I think I just immersed myself in tennis, but then simultaneously my mom would always like put me in these contests. Like it was, uh, when I was 12, it was Macy's be a star. So as I was like moving up the ranks and like starting to get really good within a year, I had a coach recruit me and he saw me in a tennis tournament and he's like, she's going to be number one in new England. And I was like, I'm not number one in anything. My, my teacher thinks I'm a loser. I have no friends. My one friend moved away and I have like frenemies who are sometimes my friend, like, and so it was really interesting that I had this coach believe in me and say, you're going to go achieve this. And I was like, that's only what winners do. Or, you know, I'm not, I'm 10. And then sure enough, a year later, that's when I got recruited. I was number one in new England um, I was winning tournaments, and that's when I got recruited to uh, Florida to be the top 50 kids who, you know, with Andy Roddick. And, and so that's when my life started to change. And then simultaneously, my mom entered me in this Macy's Be a Star contest, like a modeling thing, and I won it. And I had to, like, walk on this runway. And this I am shocked. <laughs> You're gorgeous. But it's like, but it was ridiculous. And it was like, I don't, you know, I was this athlete, so I had no idea, you know, um, and so I, and, uh, the agent at the time was like, oh, we want to really pursue this with her and send her out. And, you know, I, I think I still didn't have a lot of confidence in that area yet. And I was still so focused on tennis because it was giving me such incredible results and in, in giving me, like, the confidence that I, I, like, in fifth grade that happened for me was I was learning such a new skill set that I had confidence. I was getting, suddenly I went from, like, getting like D's and F's to getting straight A's to being po like popular, having Mr. Popular, like, you know, in fifth grade, want to date me or whatever the heck. And then in sixth grade, it all came crumbling down when I decided to break up with Mr. Popular and then the whole school decided to hate me. And it was horrible. And so sixth grade was horrible. And then I was like, how can I get out of the situation? And then I got recruited and then I was like, fuck it, I'm leaving. And so I left to uh, Boca Raton because I was like the bullying was so intense it was horrible to the point where some of the popular girls had to be like she's actually nice like why are we being mean to her like why are you guys like such dicks and um yeah you know so that was like it was it was such an interesting tumultuous childhood because these like boys I mean there was this one kid David Irwin who I had a crush on since uh I was five. I like imprinted. I literally like, like Twilight where they say you imprint. I literally like saw a photo of him and I went him. And then <laughs> forever and ever and ever. I just, and he happened to be the best friend of Mr. Popular who like had moved into town. And so the biggest bully was my biggest crush since I was like five and it was heartbreak. He was the biggest, he was so mean. He, he could be, you know, his mother died in third grade, so I think there was a lot of, uh, probably a lot of pain and a lot of lacking 
the feminine softness in his life to kind of teach him like maybe bullying, you know? So I think he dealt with it that way. I'm not, you know, and he turned out to be like a wonderful human, but at the time, like he was very scarring and, and then eventually like in eighth grade, as I was like going to leave, he like professed his love in this really long letter. You were <laughs> and just I was like, no, man eater. You were a man eater. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. I feel like I've been, you know, it's interesting if you're a man, well, I would I mean, say, I, I don't mean it in a negative way, but I mean, like, you're not having, you're not hurting for, you know, you don't need to join Tinder. <laughs> oh, Tinder. No, I was on Tinder when that was like the first, the, that was oh, the God. thing. So I actually was, uh, joined Tinder by total accident because all my actor friends were talking about it and I thought it was like a Facebook thing or something. Hinge so is better. You get better quality men on Hinge. No, but I was on, so I'm on this Tinder thing and I'm playing on it. And my friend Aaron pops up, and I'm like, oh, I know this guy. And then I clicked on it. And then he messaged me, and he's like, are you aware that this is a dating app? Because if we were just friends. And I was right. like, I had no idea. I am so dumb. <laughs> um, if this thing kicks you out, because it might, just rejoin. I think I told you already. Great, great, great. But I'm so excited that I like we're talking and stuff, because our stories are so similar. When I was a kid... I was, an, I was already an actress by the time I was four, like not professionally, but my grandpa had shown me The Wizard of Oz when I was like one, and my mom told me that in between like one and five, she thinks I watched this movie like a hundred thousand times, so I was watching it four times a day. That was and literally my favorite movie too. <laughs> I was living it though. Like I had the red shoes, and you couldn't talk, if you didn't call me Dorothy, I would not answer you. Um, wow. we had to so go get method. Yes, method that's method. why I have this guy behind me because he's like, you know, and Marlon Brando's method. And I went to school and everybody thought I was like the weird kid, but I didn't care because I was best friends with my grandpa and he lived right next door to my school. So anytime some kid was me, I would just run to him. And if my grandma wasn't home, I'd get lucky and he'd let me stay. And, and so I was really close to him, and then I started singing, which I, I was a great singer, and I loved singing, and I competed, and I did well. Um, and then when I was 10, my grandpa died, and I was taking lessons and singing and all that. And when he died, three months after that, my grandma died. And then my mom got sick. She got diagnosed with cancer, and my dad, like, left. But he was like, this singing thing is stupid. Like, you have a theater in your head if you think any of this is going to work. And I was, so I, st I stopped doing it. Wow. And then I went to high school and I did the, I started dressing like I was 40 years old and I was going to be a journalist, even though I didn't, I didn't want to be a journalist, but I knew I was, I could write. I was good at it. So I was going to do that. And I went all through school and I got accepted everywhere. And like on the day that I was supposed to leave, I was like, I'm not going. And my mom was like, what do you mean? And I was like, I can live with my dad hating me and not being proud, but I can't live with like letting down this old man who like put so much time into when my grandma and my mom were telling him, you know, maybe we should tell her. He was like, mm -mm, don't tell her that it's not real. Let her think that all of this Wizard of Oz crap is real. Let her live it. And I believe that he wanted that for me because he saw who I was becoming. He wasn't watching somebody play. He was mm -hmm. watching somebody become. And he didn't live to actually see it, but he, he knew. And then so I went to high school. After that, I had friends that they were, you know, those friends who are, they just, like, want to be friends with you because of who you know and what you can do mm -hmm. for them. And they were like, you'll never be an actress. You're not pretty enough. You're this, you're that. And so I moved, I moved away. I moved to Toronto. Um, got an agent. I did all that. 
People I was heavier. Oh, mean, huh? I was heavier at the time. Like, <laughs> my agent said, you're too fat to be blonde, because underneath this is platinum blonde hair with roots that need to be done really bad. <laughs> and I said, he asked me to go for an audition for something. I was in L.A., and I said, if I go to this audition, it's going to do something to my self-esteem that I'm not going to be able to recover from. So I'd, I would politely like to tur turn it down. And he turns around and he says, well, if you turn it down, you don't have an agent. So I didn't have an agent anymore. And then I had a mean teacher who was an acting teacher who told me she didn't like my blonde hair. She didn't like that I wear high heels all the time and that I would never be an actor. And that no, nobody who was like notable in the industry would ever notice me or care about me. And I was in LA, Ooh, my first time in LA. What teacher is this? What a she terrible... Was, she taught Drake and Nina Dobrev. I hope she didn't talk to them now. And on top of that, for six yeah, weeks, but like every, you know what, everyone has like said that they've taught someone, you know what I mean? Well, like, yeah, but it's part of the school. They're like part of the school. But every week she had me doing the same thing, scenes from the social network every week. And I was like, I am tired of playing Erica Albright. I'm tired of it. <laughs> every week, the same thing. And so I was in L.A. my first time walking down. I'm crying. I got sunglasses on. You can't see that I'm crying, but I'm crying. And this guy pulls over his car yellow Lamborghini and says excuse me are you an actress and I'm like great some weird creep wants to talk to me I'm crying and I'm like nope and I just kept walking but he was persistent and he rolled down the window and he was excuse me and I turned around and I was about to be like you know what buddy because <laughs> and he goes my name is and I was like your name is Quentin Tarantino I know I know your name I know and he was like can you get in my car because you're holding up the traffic and I was like okay and I got in his car and he and he was like he gave me so much advice and I was like, I'm trying to lose weight, and I was crying. And he was like, first of all, there's no such thing as you're too uh, fat to be blonde. And he goes, if I'm stopping you on the street, do you know how many people I stop on the street? None. Like, never do this. This is, like, a one-off. And I was like, wow. Like, And he was like, this is the universe's way of telling you. This is, you're supposed to be here. And then I met uh, a year after that my, like, childhood hero on television, which is Brian Cranston. And he remains such a big part of my life. But I was at the highest point of, like, depression uh, in my life. And I was, you know, fat, and I was so uncomfortable with myself. But I still had all my extensions in and, you know, the lashes and everything to make me look glamorous. And he looked at me, and he said, what's wrong with you? And I said, there's nothing wrong with me. Like, I was offended. And he was like, I'm too old for that. What's wrong with you? And I was like, what? And he's like, I could see the pain in your eyes. You want to tell me what's wrong with you? And I was like, well, and then I told about my grandpa, and then I said, I always wanted a dad like you. I'm not coming in the middle, but I never had a dad. And he just grabbed me, and he gave me the biggest hug, and he started to cry. And he's like, I'll be like your fairy godfather. Like, I'll be here. And he was like, you, can, you have everything it takes to make it in this. And ever since then, I've been able to, like, make connections with people who I admired growing up, like Mandy Patinkin. Um, oh, just, that's amazing. Who kept in touch with me. And then I saw that teacher at the mall, and I was like, how dare you ever look at someone and tell them that they're not going to make it just because you didn't. Like, so that's why yours, our stories are so similar, and you're, and you're exactly like me, like very, you know, hyper and just like, <laughs> and I love that because I never meet people like that. And I, I get the, the line all the time. You're too much. Oh, too, whatever. Too what? Too much what? Like, what's, what am I too much of? What are you not enough of? People don't self-examine. You know what I mean? And you, you just, you're so beautiful in the, in the way that you carry yourself and, like, you just really don't care. You just are who you are. 
And I love that. Yeah, that that I would say that that's accurate. Well, I mean, look, I've I've had to. Um, <clears throat> I mean, that's honestly been like such a long journey and a long, painful one of, mm-hmm. you know, trying to. I think, you know, when I was when I was a kid, I was fully myself and fully this creature, you know, as I would like this feral animal, you know, and I think what I do love about the way that my mom raised me in that is that she, you know, was just very like accepting, I think in that way of just like, you know, I think like (laughs) she was just like, yeah, that's just Susie. Like she's just wild and whatever. And I don't know that I don't know, like, she, she accepted it. I don't know if she knew quite how to nurture that, like, aspects of me or, or knew how to quite deal with this, like, you know, and, like, because she just she just didn't have the time. Both my parents were working, and me and my sister were both latchkey kids up until, like, I was about 12, and then we moved down to Florida, and then my mom, like, quit her job. But before that, you know, it was very much – there was a lot of freedom in that and there was a lot of like exploration. Um, and then I think culture and uh, society and school and friends sort of mold you into this. Well, this isn't acceptable. Well, this isn't acceptable. Well, this isn't acceptable. And it wasn't that I, my mom just didn't have the time to be like, Hey, these parts are really great. Like you need to nurture these, but they're appropriate in this way. Like, you don't want to siphon these parts off of, like, you don't want to get rid of these parts, but you want to, like, properly place them in the right times, you know? And so I had, and so for me, it's like I had, like, a lot going on, and I had, I kind of felt like I had, like, a huge toolbox, but I didn't know which tool to use when, and I sort of had to figure it And in most cases, how I interpreted that was don't ever be this person. Like, don't ever use this tool. Don't ever, you know, be too funny or be too loud or be too, like, enjoying life or, you know, um, enthusiastic because it felt like that was. And then somehow with tennis, I found an outlet for that. Like, suddenly this passion and, you know, and, and also with acting. But, and so it's like, I was able to channel all those energies really like well until all this pressure uh, from tennis, like now it started this, there was just this, just gigantic amount of, of pressure, you know, from coaches, from family, where it was just hard to exist, where it felt like I was walking up on a tightrope 10,000 feet above, like, you know, 10,000 feet in the air and just like feeling like I was going to crash and burn at any given point. It it was just like, you know, because I think I had this association that I had to be perfect and mold myself into this idea. And even for men too, Um, somewhat friendships, but I think I was more focused on like, you know, boys and, and, you know, trying to have to be this type of person And then in my adult life, you know, of molding this, so I went from, (laughs) so I was sort of like trying to be this, like the perfect cool girl where I was like the top ranked tennis player who was number six in the nation and sponsored by Nike and I get straight A's and I have a full scholarship to Duke and, 
And weirdly, I had a music career, so I was having songs. I was going to ask about that because I've heard your music and it's beautiful. Oh, thanks. So, yeah, so I had like a music career and, and all these things. And, um, and it was, yeah, it was really interesting because uh, it was, you know, I do think that there was a bit, uh, I will say like Andy was a big part of my life more in the sense that he was like, he became an archetype, you know, because he was the first boy who told me he loved me other than that, you know, when I was nine, nine years old and that boy said, so technically like for real, for real, like an actual, you know, he was, he was like 16 years old. Yeah. He's like, I love, like we were, we were like puppy dog love. It was very, very cute. Um, but he, I think from there, he became this archetype for me that like, you know, I suddenly started to mold myself, you know, and be attracted to that same type of Andy energy. And it's like been really interesting because I've like seen it so many iterations of my life, like in college and then in my adult life where I'm just like, wow, like this is similar to Andy, which is like, you know, the sarcastic wit, really funny. And Andy, you know, he, he is, he was really insecure. You know, I think he, I think he talked about it, that he still is. And like, you know, because I think so much of his life was defined by his tennis and a skill set that he had. And I think like, you know, there's a lot of things he was deeply insecure about. And so I think he, he wasn't the biggest kid in school. He was at the time really small and really short. And um, yeah. And so I think like he, found another skill set to like have like to be the because <laughs> he couldn't beat somebody up you know when he was before he was aged like 16 you know he was the kid who would just like mouth off to someone he was uh the um the ryan reynolds movie um uh, so adam adam story or something yeah, adam project uh, the adam project he was the adam project a mouthy kid sarcastic you know, he had a little bit more bite to him than the Adams Project, I think. Um, but he was that total energy. Like, Ryan, when I see Ryan Reynolds and I see Justin Bieber, I see Andy, which is weird. Because <laughs> like, it's like this, like, phenom, sarcastic, super uber-talented, um, but also very insecure and, like, anxious. Um, yeah, and so I think, like, I from from my experience with Andy, like, I feel... I had to fit and be this idea of what he wanted me to be in order to be loved, you know, cause it was like, Oh, I have to be this trophy. I have to be like this perfect girl. And like the parts that I loved about myself, which was like, you know, cause he's really goofy. And I think when we were friends, we could totally relate, but suddenly I think, um, I think that changed cause I think, he wanted to be the center of attention. And I think like there was this subconscious thing that we both wanted to make each other laugh. And then I just sort of took a back seat because I was like, okay, like, I think this is what he wants. And so then I, I feel like I pushed a lot of those parts away and then it just continued by dating this continuous like archetype of like my childhood, which is really interesting. So it's like the journey of, you know, trying to mold myself. So I went from trying to be this perfect girl, like in dating these really successful, awesome, dynamic, interesting guys. Um, I felt like I just had to be this like perfect person to then I just dated somebody completely opposite 
and I just like lived out my shadow, like lived out all the parts that I felt like were hidden. And this like this wild feral creature came back like in my twenties. And I was just like, I would say that's Miami Susie, as my friends would call it. Like this, like, you know, Jenny from the block, like gum smacking, extra eyeliner. Like Pearl. What? So like like the character that you played, Pearl. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. That I mean, that literally, that, I think that was like my first role, but that was, I think the reason why I felt like I played it so well, because I was that character. Like I had a song with Fat Joe and, and that particular, um, I was manifesting this like part of me that I felt like maybe not so much this like really super Miami, but it was more of this shadowy, edgy, like I'm going to take make some wrong decisions kind of like character just because I I was like sick of being this perfect idea and so I had to completely deconstruct that and you know try this character on which was still like a character to a certain degree well you know I mean it, I mean in your 20s you're just trying to figure it out because you're like oh man I, I mean there was there was a part of this there was a part of me so much embedded in that, like, there was a part, it was part character. It was the part shadow where I could just say whatever I wanted. I was going to do whatever the fuck I wanted. And it was going to just be loud or not so much loud, but, but it was, it was definitely like a cool version, like, you know, but it was, it wasn't the goofy part. It was the cooler part, but also wild who doesn't give a fuck. Like, and I think that part of me really, especially like I think with the art that I was doing, um, we're with, you know, um, going on this journey with music where I, you know, the part of me that was this kid that was wild from like five, you know, that I felt like I had to mold myself and completely get rid of that, you know. And so she, she came back out in like a very like different way and like, singing really aggressive songs about sex and like all like and it's so interesting because it's like the, the different iterations that um and so I for I also like simultaneously forgot about this other person who cared deeply about people and was really compassionate and I mean that person wasn't gone but she I was like living this like the Miley it was like the Miley Cyrus iteration when Miley Cyrus like everyone's like she went crazy and I think that's what happens when you're trying to fit this mold of this idea of what people want you to be you know where she literally was like that's it and shaving my head I mean I didn't do quite that but it was definitely this rebellion of I'm sick of having to forget about all the other parts of me and I'm going to live this person for a while and like live it to the most extreme. And that's exactly what I did for better, or for worse. And I think that relationship that I was in was not healthy, but it definitely, I had never felt more loved and more safe to fully express those parts of me that felt unsafe to express like the shadow parts, you know, that were still loved, were still accepted you know, that I felt like I felt so safe in that, you know, but then it just felt all shadow. Like then I was like, there was no unfortunate, there wasn't enough light. There wasn't enough like 
you know, there wasn't a, there wasn't a balance until I realized, okay, this is, I have to get out of this. Um, and then I think I went back to dating like an iteration of Andy again, where it was like, it started off me kind of being myself, but then we, I, I think that relationship, there were so many beautiful parts to it, but we also just weren't aligned on some, like we were just kind of going like that. And that also happens, but there was, yeah, there, there was a lot of beautiful moments, like extraordinarily beautiful, but it just, I felt we shouldn't have never been together. And I should have fought more to be myself, if that makes any sense. Cause then I started to fall back into this pattern of, oh, I have to like, it, it was sort of this moment where it's like my, I, I loved my boobs and I thought they were great, but it was like, <laughs> oh, I guess you can have bigger boobs and I should get French manicures and I should do this like idea of what you like to like mold myself. And so when, and that was a couple years and, and when that relationship, um, we went our separate ways, I had to really deconstruct and start you know, fully being myself, like the goofy part, the irreverent part, the, the, the beautiful part that's compassionate and, you know, wants to talk about deep things in the world. And, you know, at the same time, just wants to be goofy and laugh her faces off. Like, so I've had to honor each part of myself and not compromise moving forward. So I had, and so interesting, we were chatting about this before about, um, I think it was on Instagram about art and, you know, and how you can tell any story you want, you know? So it's like, whatever narrative that these people, like the amount of times that I've heard people say terrible things to me too, it's like, you're never going to do that. You're not, you know? And it's like, the amount, like every single person, like Will Smith or uh, Serena Williams or Venus Williams, like everyone has said that to them, you know, but they're not, they don't surround themselves with any of those type of people, those negative people who have failed. Because what's really interesting is that if you talk to those people, they're break the ceiling kind of people. They've done it. You know, um, I think my dad, what I really loved and miss about my dad who passed away, he um, was one of those people that like never really put a limit, like you can't do something because he had done so many extraordinary things in his life. So that was a really cool energy to, to kind of be around and to see that like, and so when I, when I think of these people, like no one's saying you can't do something, they're break the glass ceiling kind of people where they're like, of course you can, you know? And, but what's interesting is you have to, and this is kind of what I've learned is, you know, moving forward is to be like, to fully express myself to fully be authentic in who I am. And I started writing this project, America Goes to Therapy. And it was my hot, like for after this breakup that I had, that was like five years ago, I had to really take a hard look about like, you know, this like interesting thing like this. And so kind of the crux of what the script was, was to find a way like to truly love myself and to fully love all the parts of me. And so there was like, when I was writing this, it was originally like a movie script. And now um, it was a movie, like a full length feature. And now it's a TV show. And we have some of the biggest people involved in it because I literally put my soul on the page. I put some of the most worst dating disasters that have ever happened to me, like that make you cringe. And you're like, 
you know, when I had, they were literally reading my diary when people were reading it and it's so cringy and it's so honest. And I literally put every, like all of me, my soul on the page, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. And this was like, when I was like, my house had just burned down yeah. and I had gone through like this whirlwind romance that was beautiful. And then went south and was it like he wasn't who I thought he was there was quite a number I mean there was there were some beautiful moments I've dated you know a lot of artists and we're all complicated that's the problem all of us is all artists are complicated and and I hate to put it this way but all of us are broken somewhere there's there's a broken part of you I think like you just mentioned you lost your father and I think when you lose somebody you lose part of you I think I did anyway Interesting. I don't feel that way. Um, I used Maybe to because you're way. older. See, I was only <laughs> probably. No, no, no. I no, mean, because you know I was 10. When you're 10, your brain doesn't process grief the same way as when you're an adult. So I went through like my whole life. I knew he was dead, but subconsciously I was saying, oh, he's going to call me tomorrow. He's just on a vacation. We'll call tomorrow, but there is no tomorrow. I know that but the brain of a child, it processes trauma differently. So maybe that's why it's easier for you to, like, for me, I completely lost, I I think I completely lost myself. And I was talking to my friend who's quite a successful actor. And he was like, your biggest problem and your biggest roadblock is you don't remember who you were before he died. And before he died, you believed you could do anything. Like you believed in Santa Claus. I was 10. I still believe in Santa Claus because he believed it. But because he's not actually physically here to believe it, Sometimes I think I doubt it. Like I'm, you talked about writing a script. I want to write a script about my, about my grandpa, just like those 10 years in which I had this amazing human being who loved so much that like, I had to go to daycare to disconnect from him, but I wasn't willing. So he came with me to daycare and we got kicked out like bandits. And I, and I was telling my mom the other day, I want to write it, but I'm so afraid of people laughing at me again for the same things. Can I, can I say something? Yes. yes, I want to, okay. What's really, what's really interesting. um, I mean, when I was writing this, I had severe PTSD off the charts. Like I had gone through, so that's kind of what you're saying where your brain does change when you go through. um, So at the time, this is like 2016, 2017. And um, I mean, that, the the relationship that I was in in my in my 20s was so traumatic and you know I still kind of have like um I mean I'm still somewhat close with uh some of the family but he that was a really tumultuous life-changing in a way that um it was definitely I think for the better because I needed to kind of break this mindset and he helped me break a lot of this like mindset and this pattern that I was in unfortunately it sort of just broke everything and I had to literally start from scratch and like build my my house there was a reoccurring dream that I had where he would come in and he would completely destroy my house he would like eat the furniture and this was (laughs) it was the weirdest thing and I could never get him to leave I could never get him to leave the house that he was destroying and I mean that was obviously a, a metaphor And slowly but surely, the dream progressed to 
you know, he left all this mayhem and chaos and now he's no longer in this house and I'm just picking up the pieces and like putting it back together slowly piece by piece to, you know, find like I could finally in the dream, make him leave, you know, and then I could finally, um, make him like, and then suddenly he would be outside the house and then suddenly he was just gone. And so that was like a really cool evolution of that dream, but it felt like there was, you know, I felt like in, after that relationship, I had to re-examine life, you know, of like understanding who, like, what is malevolence and what is like, who are people and what are people capable of? And, you know, who was I in this relationship and who was he? And, and so um, I had to really just examine everything and it took years. And so then I jumped into another relationship when I, I knew I shouldn't. And I was like, I don't want to be in a relationship. But I think the guy like boyfriend at the time thought he was like, wow, she's so independent. And I'm like, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. I need to like not be in a relationship. Uh, And so instead I jumped into that relationship and I think we were both working out, like he had just gone through a divorce and I um, was working out this really long relationship that was so destructive. And, and in that, I, I think I had really bad PTSD and I don't think I, you know, could fully like process things. And so then after that relationship, that trauma even got compounded even more, um, you know, post relationship. And then like, and, and around that time, my aunt had died who I was close with a month later, or it was like my great aunt died a month later, my aunt who was close with died a month later uh my uncle was murdered and then I had a breakup like of like we were living together and it was like a whole thing and um and then like you know a year later had this like whirlwind romance that I thought was really great and then it it just wasn't what I thought it was and then house burns down and then I was like what more do you want from me like and so there was just a series of events where it, I just, you know, the whole Me Too moment um, movement happened. And that was like, it just brought up so much stuff for me. And in 2019, I think I just like, I was like, I need to have a timeout. Like I need to just deal with everything, you know, from the very existence in my relationship with men and everything. And that's when actually I started to write. So um, I started to write and like end of 2018, this script, America Goes to Therapy. And what I was really doing is I was trying to tell a different story because the story that I had was a clear pattern of, it was sort of like Silver Linings Playbook meets Fleabag meets Breakfast Club. So, you know, um, so I had the personification of America who was a hot mess. So it was like my hot mess of a life of these like dating experiences coupled with all this other exterior trauma and trying to pick up the pieces of my life and then writing it down and reframing everything. And, and, you know, so it's like my character was forced to go to therapy with all this other melting pot of characters, like the representation of America because America was in such a hot mess of a state. And so as I was writing this, there were so many, you know, revelations that I had, which is one of the one of the things that she's, you know, my character says, she's like, I'm sick of being everything that you need me to be and nothing to myself in the hopes that you might love me and not just tolerate me when it's convenient for you. And so it's like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Like I thought it would, you know, me 
turning into this person for you and make it easier for you to love me, but you barely even do that. And so it was this whole deconstructing of this idea. And finally being like, I don't need you to love, like, I don't need you to love me in order to feel whole. I actually love myself. Like, and that's okay. Like we're not meant to be, and you don't love these parts, but like, I love these parts because they, these are my favorite parts that bring light and love into the world. And, you know, I'm not going to get rid of these parts. I'm going to celebrate these parts. And so I think when I started to rewrite my own story and just, you know, and then at the time I had Malcolm Gladwell, uh, who was a friend who was like giving me notes and being like, Susie, this is brilliant and encouraging me. And, you know, being like, you need to continue with this. And like, he, you know, he came over and sat down, was helping me with like a few of the scenes and like, you should do this, you should do that. And so it really encouraged me to, when you put your soul on the page, that was my actual fear was, you know, my writing partner, um, before I like brought it to her before I like finished it. <laughs> Cause I always need her to like come and edit and she's amazing, but uh, she's also one of my best friends, but uh, she, she was like, wow. So, you know, I was terrified. Cause I'm like, what if this sucks? What if I've like worked for two years and it's terrible, but honestly, if you're pulling from your soul, like truly, like you're leaving in all the ugly parts, the good, the bad, you know, the, whatever, like all of it, you know, and like telling your story and, but accurately not being a victim, but like being like the, you know, like at moments, the character could be a victim, but then there was this, the hero's journey of wanting to feel sorry for yourself, but then being like, well, that's not really useful. Like, how can I transcend that? How can I tell a different story? And that's when my life started to change. You know, um, I also started going to neurofeedback, which like changed my life where, I could fully be present in the world again and it healed the PTSD. So, I mean, I get it. And I think I was stuck in this loop where I just was like, you know, I didn't feel heard or seen, but you know, beyond that, I think, I think I, it was just easier because that was a story that I knew so well, which was this painful story until I started to rewrite it. Like, what would my life be like if I can actually like, change my story and change the way like things are. And, you know, um, and that's, that was something, you know, there was this, and that's when like, you know, these huge people came on board to want to produce it. And all of a sudden it's like what I put into the world, I put my soul on the page and all the painful things and all the things that like, you know, you want to hide and not, and feel shame about or whatever, and it's like hilarious. It's a dark comedy. It's ridiculous, but it also felt so relatable because that is the human experience. Has it been released? No, no, not yet. But it's we're in the in the process of moving things along and moving forward. And um, so I don't want to say yet. Until, no, no, of course. Not. Like there's a statement that's <laughs> released into the world, uh, you know. And so I think that that was really life affirming, and it helped me reclaim who I am. So I think like, you know, it's interesting because it's like, I know I've had to learn this very recently. There was like this, also this crazy dream that I had. <laughs> I was so fascinated about like Paul Dano's performance in the Batman and how- That's so funny like because Paul Dano is married to my mentor's daughter. Oh, Zoe wow. Kazan. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Robin Swicord is my mentor. So that's see, like- a, 
it's so weird how we're all just like connected, but keep going about Paul yeah, DeVando's yeah, no, performance. So, so, um, uh, so I was watching Batman and I was like, kind of like, there was a lot of like really cool things in it that I loved. And I was, I was kind of surprised by Rob Pattinson, Pattinson's, uh, performance. Cause I thought he was like, he was great. Like, I was like, okay, this is a very emo Batman, but I was like, okay, my chemical romance, like not as just, like, but yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, that was really interesting. Um, and, and so like, yeah, he, it, it was, it was actually really cool. But what I was really impressed with was Paul Dano, how I was like, how did he do it? I was like, how did he become like the BTK killer? Cause he literally like, he's brilliant. He embodied, he, he embodied it. And I, I literally like that night, I was so like, ugh, like it affected me. His performance affected me so much. I'm like, how did he get in there? Like, how did he become it? Because he wasn't like playing it. He, he was it. And so I had this dream where Paul Dano, like there was something really interesting. He was like sitting in a room and thinking of certain phrases that a serial, this serial killer would say and, you know, think of like moments in his life. And he was just like, and it was so weird. But then, and I could feel this like energy that he was conjuring up and connecting to this serial killer that was so, it felt so real. And it, it felt like, he he was literally like the transformation I could like feel this and I was like I have to get away from this energy and all of a sudden in the dream uh the frame turns upside down and it opens to a book and all these pages open so it's almost like I was watching a movie it's like in euphoria when they turn the whole like uh frame upside down but then that frame becomes like a book with all the pages moving and it was sort of like god or an angel just being like you can tell any story you want it doesn't have to be about pain and serial killers or like whatever like you know like doesn't have to be this story you can tell any story you want and I think that we are the masters of the stories that we tell and what energy we want to bring in you know and that's what I've learned and I'm not saying it's not it's not it's not always an easy journey. Like there's sometimes that I find myself feeling like, Oh, I kind of feel sad about this, or I wish my life was, you know, and I'm like, but you can tell any story, you know, start imagining what story you want to tell in your life. Like, what would that be like if you could have this, you know, be working with Brian Cranston, you know, like on set, like imagining what that would be like and continuing to imagine that, like how that would make you feel and like, you know, or manifesting like anything and imagining those things. Cause I think to bring it back to like Andy or Serena and Venus, like that's what they did. They literally kept focusing on those things, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that was like a, a big lesson for me that, you know, sometimes we have to like get these stories out so we can tell different stories. So I think I needed to get this story out of, you know, um, of this like painful story. And now it's like, oh, now I've told that story and now I can feel heard and seen about it. I don't need to tell that story anymore. It's like, now what am I going to tell, you know, of feeling like all the painful shit and all the ugly shit and all the hot mess shit. It's like, great. Now what? I can't keep telling the same story. The things that you say are so like, just, we, it's like, we have very, very similar lives. 
That's, that's awesome. No. Yeah. I mean, I've had to, I don't think you can go through life without, um, put it this way. I, I just, I don't think anyone that I know, like, even if they had a happy childhood, I just think you can't, um, you, it's either you're going to have your pain like now or later. It's just, I mean, that is like everything, you know, can be built and destroyed. And I I think it's, you know, we are, we're all going to die one day. And so it's, it's like, there's, I mean, there's so much, there's so much beauty and wonderful things to happen, but there's also tragedy and, you know, but it's, I think it's really a question of how you weather those storms because tragedy will happen. The flood will come eventually anyway. And I think it's just, you know, trying to figure out like how to navigate those waters. And I think that's what I've in the last couple of years where I've really learned like alchemy and, you know, the fire ended up being one of the best things to ever happen to me. Whereas like, you know, for the longest time I would have been like, what was me? This is terrible, blah, blah, blah. And then that's my story instead of, um, using all that energy. I mean, like, for instance, uh, when the fire happened and one of my best friends was like, listen, you can either wait, you can either use this, you know, and use all this energy that it's giving you right now, because there was so much outpouring from, you know, so many people, um, to, who wanted to help, who wanted to like send money, who wanted to, cause I lost everything, you know, at that point, like everything I had built up until that point was gone. I except a tiny little suitcase. And she was like, use this, like use everything about this. And I didn't quite know what that meant, but I was like, okay, like maybe it's okay to ask for help. Maybe it's okay to like, you know, reach out to people. And, and so I started to being like, I'm going to, you know, to do that. And all of a sudden, like, that's when I learned the power of alchemy. And um, like, for instance, there, like there was, there was a couple guys, I think like growing up, like movie stars or whatever that I had their poster on my wall, like as a kid, Don't and we all? Next thing you know, right. And what was really interesting, I had wanted to uh, work with this, um, this guy. I mean, like there was a movie that he had, uh, directed it I mean he's like an Oscar winning whatever and I had a massive I had his poster on my wall when I was like 16 um and years and years later this is around the fire we had gone on a date and you know like this is so after the fact where it's like I wanted to work with him and etc cetera, etc cetera. and when my house burned down you know I, I was telling him about it next thing you know I'm staying at his house swinging on a swing in his backyard like this kid's yard and I was just like what in the fuck is my life you know and just being like and then next thing you know I'm like we're running lines together and you know and so this is like all within the fire that happened so it was like this outpouring from so many people who wanted to help you know and there were so many wonderful things that came out of it and in this moment where I was like kind of almost like this innocent summer camp staying at his house that was so sweet he would you know just be like hey do you want to go downstairs and grab an ice cream oh 
that's like me so with cute. that's like me with Tarantino. I was all like, "What business do I have being in your car?" When Robin introduced me to Brian, when she was walking me over, I didn't know if I was getting Malcolm's dad or Breaking Bad. I didn't know who I was getting, and I just I was walking over to him, and I was thinking, "What right do I even have?" to be in your in this room with this person and then we did you say uh, this is Aaron I love Aaron I'm, I I know him and uh, no, Robin Swy- Robin Swicord oh, Robin got it Robin Swicord yeah. no Aaron, Aaron Aaron and Lauren Paul are, are oh so yeah yeah Lauren she uh helped me during the fire like I you know she she's like hey come like it was actually so when the fire happened it was my birthday and or it was like two days right before my birthday so here I am Staying at this former, you know, the the movie star that like was it Aaron Paul? No, I'm just no, 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 no. Aaron, Aaron, actually, like I had dated one of his friends, and we had become friends, like you know, um, and like I, I love his wife; she's so great. Uh, no, but simultaneously, I was staying at the, the other, the other, guy, this guy who. Uh, who recently got married. I won't say who, but he, um, huge movie star and, you know, very incredibly talented Oscar winning, blah, 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 blah. And we became friends. It was really cool. Who I did have his poster on my wall growing up, which was, I mean, like when I lost everything in the fire and I was uh, going through whatever was left of my mom's, uh, what, like, it was just one album. Like I had probably, 20 to 30 albums of childhood of teenage years of my you know of my college years and it just poof gone but like obviously God wanted me to like be able to tell a different story because there was there was a lot of pain in my life um I feel like a lot of people wouldn't know that but there was like a lot of trials and tribulations and a lot of it was so I was when I was going through these um, old photos and then like there was basically like I had one album and I'm going through it and there I am in this like rather pleather jacket, like a Michael Jackson sort of and this like ridiculous outfit. And then there he is, like the poster after the fire of like, this is such a full circle. I like he honestly, he um I want to say that just it, it was it was it was really powerful and really interesting because it's like, you know, we can look for reasons of why people are terrible or why they're great. And it was sort of that moment of like restoring, oh, like, you know, there's this narrative going on down with the patriarchy. And what I take from that is people are sick and tired of like the um, the tyrannical king, because you also have the matriarchy that can be like the devouring mother. So it's like, you know, there can be the dual nature of the, the, the beautiful, generous mother and then the devouring mother. So, or the tyrannical king and the noble wise king. And so it was really cool that we were, you know, me and this, this actor were on this, uh, journey of just sort of like reclaiming ourselves. And he was, <laughs> going through a divorce at the time and it was just it was so beautiful and like you know no one knew about it it was just sort of like hey I'm staying at your place and normally he has hounds and hounds of paparazzi everywhere and all over the place and somehow and I was always like worried is someone gonna see me like 
you know, at his home, like, just because it was just constant for him, especially at that time. And, um, and so it was, it was really cool that it was like this beautiful moment and it was just so innocent. And he was, I think, trying to reclaim himself as well of, of, you know, wanting to be able to respect himself. And so we were, it was just this like purely innocent, sweet, like friendship. Um, yeah, it was, it was just, it was one of my favorite moments that like, I'll always like have a place in my heart for him just because just how generous he was. Like, um, you know, so I had lost everything and here I am, you know, so I, I will say that, uh, just to kind of recap, I don't know where I, I left off, but, um, you know, having this moment of losing everything, you know, and wanting to work with him or have him like be in, you know, in some capacity for, or have him be in my life for years. I mean, there was, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. I can't even believe I'm saying this. So like he was he, like, this is, this is what's even stranger is that there was this role and I, I was so right for it. And, you know, I'm from Boston and the character at the time was either like from Boston, they changed it to Irish. Uh, but so I'm doing this like Boston character. And I felt like I was like, I'm this character. It was from like the 1920s or thirties or whatever. And, um, and everyone was like, you know, my teachers were blown away by this, like, but it was like, I knew that it would probably go to a huge name and it did. Uh, but I at least wanted a shot at it. And, you know, I was like reaching out to the writer who wrote the book and he was like, I can't I know the movie, it. but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> don't, don't. No, I won't. So, <laughs> so don't, it's fine. Um, and so my, um, uh, my sister who's friends with the writer of the book, which is like, I can't, I can't help you. And so I kind of knew, I think, where, like, his coffee shop was or where he, like, and this is, like, God, this is off, like, 10 years ago. And so me and my best friend, we were, uh, when we were, like, creating this show, Famous Adjacent, that um, we ended up, like, having some incredible people in it, you know, so I sh we shot. And so as we're writing this project, I was, like, you know, it's, like, 6 in the morning, you know, he'll probably get his coffee, and blah, blah, blah. And then I'll just like show him like this audition tape that like, I just need to like, I just need to have a shot. I just need to have him see it. Like, I just want him to like, know that I fucking can crush, you know, this, this role. And I was like trying to hustle and do whatever I could. And he never, he obviously never came in the coffee shop and we were there like every morning, 6am working on this project, uh, famous adjacent. And we had Aaron Moriarty in it. We had, Peter Facinelli, we had Kellen Lutz, Alona Tall, who's also one of my best friends. Um, she also was one of the stars and she came on to produce it. Ethan Peck, you know, who's now uh, Spock on Star Trek. Um, Arian Mariarty, who's like the star of Boy, The Boys. You know, we had like this incredible cast of people. Um, Guy Burnett, who's also in like all, like Pitch Perfect and I think a bunch of other like amazing stuff. Uh, so, yeah, it was like, and so as we were writing this and trying to be creative, I was, you know, and so ultimately years and years, you know, you forget about it. You let it go. You're like, you know, oh, man, that was just, I was so proud of this audition, you know, and so I was sort of having this moment as, you know, we went on one date and then he was like, you know, I told him my house burned down and he was like, here, like, please, like, stay in my daughter's room. She's not here. And, 
And it was just so innocent and it was so sweet. And, you know, um, what I was trying to say about the, the patriarchy and this like hatred for men, it's, it's really like, it's, it we're, it's the hatred for the tyrannical king, you know, versus like the patriarchy, like men are necessary. Men are wonderful if they're like, if they're behaving the way like this wonderful man was showing up, you know, I lost everything. And he's like, that's it. You just have one little suitcase. I'm like, yeah, you know? And so it, it was really cool. And his friends were over and, you know, and um, yeah. And it was, it was just like, I re- and then that like night he's like, you know, I was like, Hey, do you need help running lines? Like for his, like, it was like mm-hmm. big move in. Here I am, like doing all these voices, and I'm like, "What is my life?" Here I am, running lines with my like childhood hero, and then like, you know, and then here I am playing all the voices, and I'm making him laugh, and it's like hilarious, and you know, and we had decided that like, let's just keep this innocent and really sweet. So that's when I was saying that he's like, "Hey, do you want to go downstairs and have like an ice cream?" Like it was just so freaking cute. You know, because it was just like we were both in in really tough places, and um, we we did have a we did have a cute makeout, but it was like we just knew that it was like we can't take it past this, and that and that was that. But beyond <laughs> that, and I'm, I'm you know, I I honestly like I have such gratitude because it's like I don't know I when when we talk about the patriarchy and you know, and this man who I'm talking about had a lot of like. I want to say, uh, I want to say that he's like gone through a lot and like, you know, has a lot of up and downs and a lot of his life had been public in a lot of ways. And so that I think that's why I don't want to say, and I don't, I want to protect that. Of course. Uh, right. That's why I don't, you know, I'm not going to say the name of the movie or anything because I know, I, I know who you're, <laughs> you radiate like, like light and sunshine and, I'm seeing all these people like listening to your music now and they're like, look, Oh, I love this. And they didn't know about it before. And that's, by the way, I have to to say thank you so much because like, don't worry about it. (laughs) No, 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 no. Like literally like, you know, you put something out in the world and you hope that people respond well to it and just no one really knew about it. Like I put it out there and it didn't, I, yeah, I don't know. It just sort of got lost in the shuffle, I think. And then, you know, it was, it was so cool to have this overwhelming amount of people. And obviously like that's like, uh, from you just promoting it and like, uh, just supporting it. And, you know, so that was like all on you. So thank you like so much to, you know, um, I really, really appreciate it. That was like a really cool moment for me. Someone who you might know them because you were talking about your friend was in the boys. So, um, Robert Ulrich who cast, the boys and cast like everything. As Robert a friend of- almost cast me in Glee. That was my very first audition in LA. He almost, I came so close to almost. Robert is uh, a friend of mine. He cast um, my friend who is now deceased on, on Glee. Um, oh. Yeah, he, he cast Corey and he gave him his uh, big start. And a few years later, after Corey passed away, Blake Jenner reached out to me and he was like, do you want to come to my premiere? And I was like, at like at this point in my life, I was so fat and I just hated myself. And I'm like, I have to go. 
because Corey would go. And I was in Toronto. I took a, a plane from Toronto to Chicago. And I ran through the airport, got another plane, and I did my makeup in the car. Right. And I looked like crap. And I'm standing there, and I'm so uncomfortable. And Robert comes up to me. And he's like, you have the most beautiful eyes I've ever seen. And ever since then, he's just been in my life. So, yeah, he's oh, one oh, of the... He's one of the, the greatest people. And that same premiere, I was standing there. I'm talking to my friend. And I'm like, oh, I'm so fat in my dress. And this guy taps me on the shoulder. And he's like, excuse me. And I turned around. And it was John Stamos. <laughs> and he's like, you look great. You're beautiful. I don't want to hear you talking like this ever again. And I was like, my mom loves you. <laughs> it just, were you did you audition for, uh, for Glee? Did you audition for Quinn? Uh, yes, I did. I auditioned. So, so this is are we the same person? Because we love all the same stuff. I actually had a cat that I named after the character of Quinn because she reminded me. The character reminded me of myself. She was like so concerned about what people thought of her, but at the end of the day, she was really just a good person, and I thought that was beautiful. Yeah, you know, gosh. Uh, so me and Alona, that's actually how we met. So this was. I had been working in Miami at this point. I had auditioned for, like, or not auditioned for, but I, like, uh, booked, like, so I was singing and, and dancing, and I had a music career, and, you know, I was doing, like, little parts in in big movies, or I was getting, like, a guest star at, like, Bird Notice, uh, and... CSI. And, <laughs> and something like, yeah, yeah, like, it was, like, Burn Notice, CSI, like, and then, like, Sex Drive, the movie, like, the comedy, teen comedy, um, and then, uh, so my agent, well, this is, like, after, like, I had, uh, like, booked the role on, like, Search for Be the Next Pussycat Dolls, and they really, really wanted me, and I, I like, looked at the, you know, uh, the contract and what they were asking, basically, that I, I, whether I win the competition or not, I was not allowed to ever, like, to act, to sing, to do anything for a whole entire year. And I was like, this is my livelihood. What are you saying? And I was like, no way I'm doing this. Like, this is how I'm making my money. I'm actually like, I can't, I can't do this. You know, I can't put my life on hold. And it just, it was like really ironclad. And I was like, no way am I doing this. Anyway, so then another opportunity, my uh, agent was like, hey, there's this other like singing, dancing thing that you should audition for. And this was like, I've been, I've been wanting to make the chance to like move out to LA, you know, because I was always so scared because it was so daunting. And there was everyone, you know, who looks like you, 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 you go into like the casting room and there's like 20 people who look like you and are like even more talented. And you're just like, oh my God, you know, so it's, it, it was always so daunting to me to ever go out to LA and I had made a trip and I loved it uh, like, a, like a few months prior. And so, oh man. And so, uh, She's like, just, you know, just do a pre-read. So we didn't put it on tape. And I was just like, I'm going to fly out there. So I flew out there and I'm like, this is making a break of time. This is going to prove like, please, God, I don't want to embarrass myself. Like, I have to get a call back. If I don't get a call back, my life will end. Like, I, I, I need to get to Miami. Like, it was this like, make it or break it sort of moment. And, um, and so, and so there I am in front of Richard, uh, uh, Robert, Robert, Robert Oliver. And, um, and so I auditioned thinking like, oh my God, I'm uh, like, no, actually I'm supposed to audition and I had no idea about LA traffic. So I'm thinking like, oh, cool. It says it'll be like, you know, 20 minutes. It was like an hour away. Like it was actually like, 
because of traffic, it was like an hour yep. you know, because this is actually before like Google Maps and everything. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm an hour late. Like, I missed the audition. I came all this way. Oh, my God. And, the, you know, and so my agent calls. She's like, fine, like, just go tomorrow. It's great. So the next day I'm like, okay, L.A. traffic. Got it. Like, noted. I'm like there so early. And I'm like, make it or break it. And I start ad-libbing with this character because I was like, they, the in the pilot, there wasn't a lot to work with. And right. so I was kind of asking here and there. And he's like, we love you. We're going to have a call back. And I was like, what? Because I was like so nervous. I was like shaking. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was like, this is amazing. I was like, okay, I guess I have to cancel my flight to, or whatever. Like, I wasn't sure, like, when I should go home or whatever. So I'm like, cool. So then I, you know, I have a call back in front of producers and there's like, you know, I don't know any of these people at the time. I didn't know Ryan Murphy. I didn't know anyone. And I didn't want to know everyone's like, you need to know this person. I was like, shut up. I don't need to know anyone. I don't <laughs> know anyone. I don't know who they are. Like, leave me alone. And so I audition and I'm just doing my thing and ad living and being a, like a sassy bitch. And <laughs> Ryan and like everyone else in the room are losing their shit laughing. And I'm like, Cause I'm not, I'm just being the character. I'm not like trying to, you know, think it's funny, but they're like thinking it's fucking hilarious. And I'm like, what? And so then I'm like, wow. And then I got another call back again. They're like, great. You have another call back. And I was like, what? This is crazy. So then I tested for <laughs> the studio and I was like, what's a test? I don't know what a test is. Did you, like, did what? you chemistry read? No, um, we never chemistry read. We just did. No. Uh, so we, I mean, at least in this run. So I'm testing for the studio. Um, and it's like this big auditorium room <laughs> with like seating and the whole thing. Like it's a whole like stage kind of thing. And so, you know, now it's even getting even more and there's like a, a live piano and blah, blah, blah. And so it's like this whole thing. And then we auditioned then for, so I make it past the studio and then I make it uh, the network. So now I have to audition for the network, all these other people. Mm-hmm. And so here I am, I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. And then um, uh, that's when I met my future best friend. So we're sitting there, me and Alona Tall and like two other girls and the girls are kind of mean and they're kind of catty. They're very like how Quinn was in the very beginning, you know, just kind of like, God, leave me. And me and Alona are like, hey, so she's Israeli, and so I was like, oh, like, because I had some Israeli friends, so we start chatting, and so they call everybody in, like, each by one, they call me first, and so I perform, and then they call Alona second, and then she performs, and the two other girls, and then they have us, like, after that, they call me immediately back again, like, from that, like, from the, that, like, the network test, so, you know, so I go back in, and I perform again. And then Alona goes after me again. And then uh, they don't ask the two girls, like, who are still in the waiting room to come back in. So it's like we know it's, like, down to me and Alona. And so we're like, oh, my God, like, this is so cool. Wow. Neither of us get it. We're on hold for, like, a week. They hold us for a week. And and I remember looking at the contract that I was like, this might kill me because I, I just you know, I had a full scholarship to Duke, um, to tennis, and we were number one in the country. We went on to NCAAs, and it was like, it was such a grueling shoot that you weren't allowed to do, uh, it was such a grueling, um, like, it, it, just playing sports and, and having to, 
you know, try to be straight A's, which was impossible, and have a social life, and try to be in a sorority, like a tri-deld or whatever. It was just, there was no room for, like, having boyfriends or, you know, having, like, friends. Like, it literally was tennis in school, and it it just, and unfortunately, like, it it was velvet handcuffs for me. Like, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't pursue acting at the time. I would, like, book a lead in, um, you know, like a paying gig. Um, it was like a play, Neil Abu play, and I was getting paid for it. And everyone was shocked. Like the acting class, when they heard, like it, it Duke, they were like, they heard that I booked this like off, uh, off Duke, like production, um, it was like Man Bites Theater or something. And it was a paying gig for uh, The Shape of Things. And this girl who was in our class, like she literally was shocked. She literally, I was like, yeah, you know, I just booked this role for, but I had to turn it down because of tennis, because of the schedule scheduling. Like I just couldn't do both. And the girl looked at me and she was like, I'm sorry, you booked it. You, you, you. And I'm like, (laughs) so I felt like very much like it was sort of like the Kung Fu Panda moment where it was like, you're the dragon warrior. You, you It's like, yeah. And so, I mean, she was like, I studied under, you know, Stanislavski with Moscow in, like, Russia. I'm like, I was like, bitch, I don't know. Yeah, yeah but what happened? that stuff really doesn't matter because, like, I'm just going back to, to Corey. Like, I had this conversation with Robert, and he was like, there was, like, more than one person who read for uh, Finn. And one of them was Darren Chris, who's, like, insanely talented, amazing right. singer, amazing dancer. <laughs> But he doesn't have, he didn't have Corey's sort of like, I'm dumb, I'm vulnerable and I'm dumb kind of vibe. And he wasn't dumb. He was just a very, he was like very precious and he had that like vulnerable quality. So it wouldn't work. And so Robert was like, I knew that we could, we could teach Corey to sing and dance, but we couldn't teach someone else to have his like, Oh, well, I'm like, you know, you really, he, there's a line in it where he says that he thinks that the moon in New York City are only like 10,000 miles apart. And you really believe that he's like that dumb, but it's, it, it, I don't know. He was just so precious and like angelic almost. And you can't teach that. So I I hate people who are catty like that, like that girl that you're talking about, because honestly, I think it's kind of funny now. Like, I just, I think it's, it's just, does she act now? Oh, I don't like I, I don't think she went on to do it doesn't matter I don't even know but like a lot but of people you do have, well you know it's really interesting some like there have been some incredible people so um I was so but anyway so the whole so me and Alona did not get it we were on hold but like I was like holy cow holy shit I need to move out here because now I have my proof like because I was asking for a sign God what do you want me to do like do you want me to move out here and so then and then I tested for my next uh literally like the next pilot I I like went out for I tested again and I was like holy shit like and then I just like never worked for like a year and like it took me like a year to finally work um but yeah it was it was kind of it was it was pretty cool and I made you know, I met one of my best friends. We're now like producing stuff together. We did like Famous Adjacent and now we have another project, like a couple other projects that were like we try we were doing a um production company with the three of us. And oh, wow. so um 
Yeah. Um, man, I have so many questions about Glee. I ran into, so, um, oh my God, I'm, I'm blanking on her name, but she would put, uh, auditions on tape. It's speed reels. And she was so, she was the, she played the wife of Matthew. Oh, uh, Jessalyn Gilsig. Oh my God. She's amazing. She's awesome. And I freaking love her. And so she used to, uh, and Wait, it, was, it was so, was it his original wife or the one he married later in the show? Uh, Jesselyn Gilsig. Jesselyn. That was the original one. Yeah. She is awesome. She's such a wonderful person. Um, I lost touch with her after speed reels, like over the pandemic, like, Mm -hmm. I guess they went into a different direction, but um, it was really interesting. I remember looking at the contract of Glee and being like, holy shit, this might be velvet handcuffs similar to the Duke sort of, arrangement that I was you know I felt like I it felt like this great idea but I remember having like almost like what was coming up for me is what I anticipated happening which is like a lot of people like couldn't take the pressure you know that I was like this might kill me because I was like you film and you're singing and you're dancing and you're you know you're not only like I remember doing the pussycat dolls and that was like the just auditioning and and learning the dances and learning the song and learning like, you know, all the like, and then having to sell yourself. And it was like a whole thing and it was a whole process. And that was so unbelievably draining and exhausting. And it like, and I just like went for it, but I like worked my fucking ass off for those like three days that I kept getting callbacks and kept getting callbacks and kept getting callbacks. And I just remember thinking like, this is really like tough. Like this is, this is, you know, this is, this is, this is really challenging. And I just remember like every muscle hurt, everything like, and I, but, but then I thought about it with glee because it wasn't like, you weren't just like learning your lines, you were singing, you were dancing, you were learning songs, you were learning dance. So like, it wasn't just like, oh, I have to learn this character in these lines. I have to learn also this. And then you had to go on tour during the summer. So it was like, you literally had no break. And that was sort of, you know, a dream. But when I looked at like, how much they were paying you was, you know, us, and I think it was like a joint thing of like, 20 grand per episode at the time, like that's, that was like the most money that I had ever seen. But in the long term, I was like, that's not a lot of money for like, basically, you know, working your ass off, like being like a Miley Cyrus, like, and I, you know, Quinn wasn't like the main character. But I just remember thinking like, this is like crazy and this will probably like you know like what it did for high school musical and made a lot of people but you know when I remember talking to um Jessalyn and Matthew I ran into uh, Matthew at like some like Oscar party and we were chatting and he was just like you're so lucky you didn't do it because like it killed a lot of people (laughs) you know like people couldn't handle it they couldn't sustain it like it was horror like I think what he was saying, you know, it was really, it was really, really like a tough shoot. And, you know, a lot of people, like there was a lot of drama and I, I had a feeling that there might be like, just because it was like kids in their twenties, you know, and just sort of like hormones going and everyone wanting to like fuck each other, but then <laughs> having a fucking disaster because of it. Like, cause I, I had worked at, at this point, I had worked on um one tree hill and, and it was that same sort of mean girl energy, like all over the place. And I was like, oh, like it was just, 
it was who can I, you know, it was very much that like CW energy of like everyone wanting to like date each other. And, and I just remember, you know, only playing a few episodes and being like, I just want to work and I have a boyfriend and I just want to like, you know, I, I, I don't want to steal anyone's man, like chill the fuck out. Why are you so mean to me? <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. There was, there was a girl on that show that was horrible to me. Oh, Diana, who did end up booking. Uh, oh, Quinn. she was really sweet. I <laughs> met her. She's wonderful. She works a lot, but it's all indie film. And people are like, oh, she hasn't worked in years. And I'm like, no, she's working like consistently. Like she's been working with Helen Mirren and like she directed Helen Mirren. Like you guys just don't know because you're not willing to deep dive into those smaller projects. Like one of my friends. She was also on Broadway, wasn't she? Uh, no, she does like she sings at Car- Cafe Carlisle in uh, New York. She doesn't. She hasn't done Broadway yet. It was Melissa, I think you're thinking of the one that no, played on Supergirl. She did like a quick stint on Broadway. Oh, maybe. Wait, 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 wait. Um. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, she did. Uh, will play Dahlia in the world premiere of James Phillips' play. Oh. I didn't know. God, what did she do? Yeah, I feel like she did or something. Oh, maybe Uh she did. I don't know if she did. Uh, Yeah, we'll play uh, Cafe Carlisle, maybe. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. She she was singing. She sings at Cafe Carlisle frequently because she lives out there in New York. One of my friends, Lucas Hedges, is like an incredible actor. And he's in, like, so many indie films. Like, he was in, um, he did Manchester by the Sea, which is what most people know him from. But I've seen everything he's done. And people are like, who's that? And I'm, like, one of the best actors, like, out oh, there. And you don't know. Incredible. I loved him in the Shia LaBeouf movie. I met he's Shia at that premiere, at the premiere of that movie. And I went up to him and I was like, thank you for making this because this is so necessary for people to see, like, how toxic Uh, like a father can be sometimes and he couldn't like he was such a nice person he gave me like the biggest hug and I have a couple stories about Shia I know some and then the people tell me he's like the worst person ever and then it's like that's just not the experience that I had I've had um he's I think it depends if he's sober you know like when you're not sober you're not I've met him sober oh no and I've met him not really so not. And he wasn't oh my nice. God. No, no, he was horrible. He was horrible. He was so horrible. And it was so I had like written this project where I wanted him um it, it was like a Holocaust like uh Jewish man falls in love with a German girl, daughter of a Nazi, and she risks everything, goes to Auschwitz with him. And <laughs> And he fights to the death every night while the Nazis bet on him. And um, and it's this, like, crazy love story. It's like the notebook meets Titanic meets Gladiator, I guess, if that makes any sense. And, um, and I was writing the story um, as my father was dying, and he had mm-hmm. been, like, in a concentration camp or a collective farm and seeing the worst atrocities So as he was dying. And I just kept thinking – man, I really want, like, and there is, like, this good-hearted Nazi that ends up, like, giving his life to, like, save 
this character, Judah. And so I envision like Gerard Butler, this is like in 2007. So this is like when Gerard Butler, like, you know, what, like, I feel like would have been right for that role and Shia LaBeouf. And I was just thinking, no, it has to be him. Like it has to be him. Cause I know he can do it. I know he can like morph into this like beast of a human, you know, he's Jewish and I just feel like his personality is somewhat right for this. And years later, uh, we're at the box. So I'm like, I got invited by my director friend to, uh, to this, it's like a performance art and it's really irreverent and it's really crazy. Like, for instance, like while we were there, we, you'll, you'll see some of the most incredible dance performances you've ever seen where it looks like their head is popping off of their body wow. or there'll be this like weird performance thing where suddenly like this woman will take out a ringing phone and answer it from her vagina. Like it is bizarre. <laughs> it is the most bizarre thing you will ever see or experience. And I like could not. I was like, what in the fucking world? Like, it's, it feels like Amsterdam, like some crazy performance art that's just wild. And so I'm there and Shia LaBeouf and his girlfriend are sitting next to me and one of my best friends. And I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And it's just it's couch seating. So there's no like assigned seating. It's just like there's tables and chairs and there's Marilyn Manson sitting next to him. Because I think at the time, like Shia was directing the Marilyn Manson project and it's clear Shia is on some shit maybe some you know like acid or something because he was like pointing at things that weren't there and just being like oh like it was wild and you know and so the the girlfriend's trying to wrangle him and just be like hey 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 you know and so he's getting more and more like drunker and you know he's like drinking whiskey I think like heavy, heavy alcohol with whatever else is going on. And, and so I'm like, Oh my God, this is the chance. I can't believe it. I'm finally meeting him. He has to play this character. Like I'll, 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 you know, get a chance to talk to him and it'll be great. So we're sitting literally next to him and I'm just like, Oh my God, this is so crazy. So I'm waiting for the right moment. So like, uh, so they have like a break, you know, um, a middle break or something. And so everyone like goes to get drinks or whatever. And, um, and so I like kind of move over because like now I have the couch, you know, and I'm just thinking like, what do I say to him? Oh my God, this is so cool. <laughs> so he comes back and he sits down and I just, you know, make some room for him and he comes inches from my face and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, it's finally happening. He's going to say something to me. Oh my God. Like, and then he's like, get out of my seat. And I was like, no, no. No, 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 no. This is not how this is supposed to go down. This is not what was supposed to happen. And I turned to my friend and I was like, did that just happen? Because she knows the whole story of like how important the script was, what I wrote and how like he has to play the character. And I'm just like, and I, and I go to my director friend who's, you know, worked on some of the biggest movies and biggest projects. And anyway, so I turn, I turn to my friend uh, and I'm just like, uh, 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 I think Shia LaBeouf just just yelled at me, and he's like, "What?" He's like, "Where?" He's like, "Let me find this fucker." He's like, "Where is he? Where is he?" And Shia LaBeouf looks like the Unabomber. He literally has a beard. You can't tell him that it's him. He's like, oh, "I want to find him. I'm gonna kick him out of this place." I know, blah blah blah. So he's like, "These are the my friends who who own this fucking thing," and blah 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 blah. And so, because like I guess his friends like run the box, 
And I'm just like, no, 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 it's fine. And all of a sudden, I just see, like, Shia just now really mad for some reason. Like, somehow he's now just looking, like, because now he's getting drunker and we're still on this break and he's just, like, ready to go. Like, he's just ready to go. And all of a sudden, this, like, fan comes over, like, or whatever. He's like, hey, man, I love And then he's, like, starts throwing water at the fucking guy and, like... And I didn't say anything. It's not like I it's not like I said anything. I didn't pitch the story. I didn't say anything. All he did was just like scream at me to get out of his seat. And so when somebody else like came over to be like, Hey, I love you, man, and he just started pouring water on the guy and being like, Fuck you, fuck you and Marilyn Manson is like trying to like calm everyone down. He's like, Yo, be cool, be cool, man. And all of a sudden the show starts. And so the show starts and they're doing their performance. And Shia gets up, he jumps on the table, starts kicking over water and glasses and everything, is jumping on the table from the next table to the next table to the next table. And this is like a, like a... Is that the like cabaret when he got arrested? Yes, that's the place. Okay. <laughs> so he jumps up, jumps up, and all of a sudden, everyone grabs him, like the, the bouncers all grab him. They're like, yo, 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 they all grab him. And he's like, get off of me. And we're just like, everyone is just like, what in the fucking world? And then his girlfriend like comes running after like, oh my God. And that was, that was my first experience. And then when I met him for going to see Honey Boy, um, you know, I told him that I was like doing a similar project. Was Lucas there? Huh? Was Lucas there? No, no, no. It was just, it was just um, him going, I was just checking out Honey Boy and I was like, oh, cool. And I saw him there. I was like, oh, hey man, like you know, loved uh, what you did. And, you know, I'm kind of on the same path because, you know, America goes to therapy. I was like in the midst of writing that. And he's like, oh, yeah, cool, cool. And he was really sweet, you know, so but he he felt very fragile. He felt he was really like jacked. And yet it's like he felt so fragile is what it felt like. Uh, You know, it's, it's weird. And so you know, back to the other gentleman who was wonderful, who, you know, what's really interesting. I think he is so wonderful now um, because of the trials and tribulations. I think that he had gone through that his failures were so, so public and so like big. They were made so, that they were made so big. It's like someone like you're from Boston, right? Yeah. So you're obviously familiar with Tom Brady and that whole story. I told you that I love Tom Brady already, but Tom Brady is someone that so many people hate because, oh, Tom Brady cheated and Tom Brady's not a good person <laughs> and all these things. Tom Brady didn't know me from a hole in the ground when my friend died and somebody that I know knew Tom and they were like, I know a girl who like really loves you and she just lost her friend to suicide can you do something? And then two days later in the mail, I got this picture signed by Tom Brady certified the whole deal. And then during the pandemic, he went to another team during the pandemic. He went to Tampa Bay and it's, I've never put it on. It's in my closet. Uh, He sent me a Jersey and he wrote happy birthday, Tom Brady, like a box full of stuff in it. And there's so many people who will tell you like a negative story about Tom Brady but Tom Brady found out it was my birthday the night before my birthday and because it was in the middle of the pandemic he wanted to make sure that I was going to feel good and so he sent that and like when you meet 
people, it's important to understand that, like, I had, you know, a bad experience with my dad, but then I had a great experience with my grandpa. So I understand that not all men are good, but not all men are bad. And right. there's a lot of projection of men are bad, men are bad. And if you don't, like, if I, I don't. I that narrative right now. It's so, <laughs> it, it, it makes me so upset because men are wonderful and, like, you know, sure, there's going to be like, but I mean, I also think like we're human and we're fallible and like there can be some bad women. Like I've known so many and like, yeah, yeah, for sure. So many great women like who have, you know, and it's like every time it's like, you know, if I, if I do have a bad experience, you know, with a guy or whatever, I immediately call one of my like close guy friends to just help me erase that feeling of just being like, well, that's not a narrative. That's not like a real thing. Exactly. You know, and to, to be reminded that, like, men are, you know, the right men are, are wonderful, you know. And I think especially, like, when people go through the fire, literally, I think, uh, like Tom or like person who we won't name. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I really do think, like, it, he, you know, from what I had heard, he was, he, he was kind of a dick before all that, before he, he was really humbled, you know, um, I mean, I think he was probably like a nice guy, super charming, but I think like he had made a lot of mistakes. And I think like it was only until I think the divorce for him really broke him and really had forced him to look at a lot of his own issues and a lot of like, you know, how am I showing up in the world and who do I want to be? And I have kids and how do I want to show up in that way? And and I think, you know. And then there's there's times where, you know, other other those those very successful men don't quite like I was watching the um the last great movie stars with Paul Newman. Yeah, yeah. What is so remarkable about Paul is that, you know, he had cheated on his wife, his first wife for like five years and they had an affair. And, you know, it just kind of feels like um, a lot a lot of those like. I feel like a lot of that behavior, um, people like, I, I don't want to say that people get away with that because I don't think you get away with anything, but I think like, especially in, in Hollywood or whatever, they think that they get away with it and they're like, no, 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 no. Like, and then like, even, I don't know, the whole thing with Brad Pitt, I love Brad Pitt. I really do. But I think like it was, I thought it was so shitty the way like everything was handled for poor Jen you know, and I, and I also like appreciate like Angelina in so many ways. I, I appreciate all of them for, for different reasons, but I thought that that was so, I, I do view marriage as sacred and I felt like it just felt so shitty. And I was like, man, it just seemingly like nothing seemed to happen and they, everyone just got away with it. And I was like, and I, and I had a feeling that the, the other shoe might fall and then clearly like it, it did. You know, so it's it's interesting hearing Paul Newman when he had this affair, you know, for five years and seemingly got away with it, where it was like painted that they have this perfect like marriage. And, you know, his his kid ended up committing suicide. Like there was some sort of like disconnect and a break. And it wasn't until then, I think. And I think he knew when he started to see the cracks within his own son that he realized the mistakes were starting to like being forced upon him of like, and then years and years later, when he was only an old man, could he articulate? I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know that I should have sat my family down, including his ex-wife and been like, here's what's going to happen. And properly, 
you know, integrate the family and be like, and, and handled it with grace and handled it with, you know, and not maybe do the thing that he had done. Um, but like maybe gotten a, a divorce first, you know, however you properly deal with something like that, because he realized only as an old man, he's like, only now he could really understand the mistakes and that how you never get away with anything. And I thought that that was so beautiful that he was really trying to rectify those mistakes with his charity work. You know, he created this whole um, summer camp for kids with cancer. And I think that that was his way of like, you know, people who are terminal, essentially like like his son was with, um, you know, knew that he was on a one way track of wanting like killing himself with with drugs. And and so I think in some ways this was him being like, I can maybe fix it. I can turn this, you know, I can do some good in the world. And so he created, you know, products that I still like Paul Newman's own, you know, like whatever. And it was so beautiful and cool that he's this consummate artist that he would keep telling these stories to work out his own life. So he would play these roles, you know, right after his son died, it was like the, or right before his son died, he was like playing this role of winning and trying to fix his relationship with his son in this movie. You know, it was sort of this dynamic or whatever issues he had with his wife he or his, his alcoholism, he would be working that out, like in the movie, The Verdict, and literally showing all that parts to him. And I think that's what art does. And, I, you know, I really just thought it was just so beautiful. And also to, you know, a testament to this movie star who's now with another movie star. Uh, who just recently got married, (laughs) (laughs) who, who honestly, like he, um, you know, he does kind of remind me a little bit of, of Paul Newman in the sense that, you know, he is trying to work things out and do better. Um, So yeah, like whatever mistakes he made, I feel like he's trying to learn from them. And so at least that was my experience. And like, I'll always like have love for him. You know, we were never in love or anything that but like I have so much love for him if like I see him I just want to give him a big old bear hug and just be like I fucking love you like you're just wonderful you know that's like I've never been in love with Mandy Patinkin and I don't have any sort of crush on him but it's the same thing (laughs) he treated me with so much like again during the pandemic like every my birthday was they weren't even making cakes like everybody was having shitty birthdays and to get like this you know, video message of Mandy Patinkin singing happy birthday to you is like when you've looked up to him for so long, it's like, wow, you know, and you, and you have How did that, that un- manifest. That's so cool. We met, um, I-, I messaged him on Instagram and I was like, listen, you're coming here for the film festival. And I've been watching you since I'm a kid and I really like to meet you. So, so we ended up, we ended up, you know, meeting um, at the premiere of uh, life itself. And I hadn't seen the movie at the time. And when I saw the movie, it kind of broke my heart because he plays a grandpa and he's got his granddaughter and her parents have died and her grandmother's died. And she says to him, are you going to die? And they show him his internal dialogue. And he says, yes, and probably a lot sooner than you'd like. But what he says to the granddaughter is, no, of course, I'm not going to die. And my grandpa did that, too. But I never realized that he had the internal dialogue of of course I'm going to die and I don't know how to tell you this 
And then when I saw it, I messaged Mandy and I was like, I'm heartbroken, but like you've made me sort of understand. And then when it was my birthday, he sent me the, this beautiful video. He's saying happy birthday. And he was like, you know, I'm rooting for you. I think you're going to make it in this business. And at the end, it was so funny. He goes, I'm very old and you're so young. So please remember me because I need jobs. And I just, I was laughing. And, oh, that's so cute. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I told him I was writing this screenplay about, you know, my, my grandpa. And uh, it's kind of like you, you said you had like an end game, had to be like the one actor. And I was the only actor who could play my grandpa, believably and correctly, it would be John Goodman. And Mandy was like, can I play like a sympathetic doctor? Like I'll play anything. And <laughs> I, I said to Brian one day, I said, I don't know John Goodman. And he was like, but I do. And I will go to John Goodman and I will say, I will talk to him. And John was like, if it's a good script, I'll do it first. Is Brian a mentor? Brian is. Yeah. He's very much been a mentor to me and he's been like, so Brian's my favorite, by the way, Breaking Bad, literally like, all-time favorite show like yeah he's a huge huge part of my life I love him so much like I always wanted to give my grandpa a pocket watch when I was like you know or my dad but my dad wasn't my dad so I gave it to Brian after we met and it wasn't anything expensive you know I just bought him and I had it engraved and like a cheap I want I think everyone who makes it to a certain level of success we have to go through something. You have to struggle. Like, I think everyone is going to go through it, whether like, however long you live, everyone you love will die. Like the longer you live, more people will die. More shit is likely to happen. And the world is just trying to kill you. And you just have to like, you know, keep, um, trying to but do the best you can and, and love you, the best you, keep, you can. I think that's it. I, I really, you I really keep like, doing that. You keep doing that. Like, Everyone knows you from Jessica Jones. It's basically like an iconic role that you played because you played a gay character. You're not gay. And a lot of people like really, I don't even know. I haven't had that challenge. I don't even know how you do that. Like you have to really submerge, like submerge yourself into becoming yourself, but maintaining yourself, but also becoming unbecoming. Well, I think it's a spectrum. I mean, I'm. I've never, I've never been with a woman. That was the first time, but I feel like if there was like a scale of one to 10, I'm probably like a two or like, if it was like one to 10, like 10 being like super gay. And zero, <laughs> like I'm like a two, I'm like a 2.5 where I'm like, Oh, I could, you know, but it just never gets past. Like, it's just like, mm. and if I'm really single for a while, maybe it's a three where I'm like, could I? <laughs> Do you have like an so ultimate I mean, girl like, crush? <laughs> what do you have like an ultimate like girl crush like a celebrity girl crush oh man um I feel like before the whole Brad Pitt thing it was like Angelina Jolie because I loved what she was doing in the world um oh my god Rebecca Ferguson she's amazing and Emily Blunt they're amazing mine is Christina yeah. Aguilera oh yeah 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 she I mean I <laughs> I met her at like a so did I party. She's so freaking cool. She's great. No, when she's I great. met her, awesome. I had my hair, didn't have you the have some going on. Vibe to you. When I met her, she's like, you look like 
me more than my sister. And I started to cry. She was so sweet to me. And I was like, again, still really deep in my depression. And she was holding my hands and she was like, thank you for supporting me through my whole career because there's people here who only love me when I'm not fat. And I was like, yeah, okay. Like she, she just held my hands and like, it was a really powerful moment. And then when she walked away, somebody beside me said, that girl is so fucking fake. And I was like, why? Because she talked to the one person that she knew that she had touched her life, that she had like influenced, profoundly influenced because Christina was the first celebrity that I looked at. And I went, okay, that's me. That's like, that's how I am. That's who I want to, that's what I want to project, like confidence. And even if I'm not, I still want to project that I am on, you know, bad days. Like right now I have almost nothing on except lipstick and a little bit of mascara. And I feel so naked because I'm used to having, you know, fake lashes and everything. You look beautiful. I love it. (laughs) Well, so do you. I mean, you're always beautiful. Every time I see, you know, I've seen your, your pictures from, from Sports Illustrated and, just like you have, you're glowing. Like, I think you just have a beautiful soul and it comes out. And that thing, I think, I think that, I think that really is the, that's the most important I, thing. I, I really, I really truly believe that, that I think like we're, I think Drew Barrymore hit that it, that it's like your, your soul shines from within where I've seen, you know, people who, God, I've seen some of the most like incredible, gorgeous um, people in the world. And yet like their soul isn't able to shine through it. Like, it's just, you're like, oh, aesthetically you're beautiful, but I'm like, you know, you can't separate the soul from that. So it's like, there's always when your soul is like shining through and there's like light, like I always think that they're the most beautiful people. Like it, 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 it just, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's like happiness or something. I don't, I, I don't know how to like describe it. Um, but yeah, no, Christina Aguilera, she in my twenties, like in college, like when I was 20, I listened to her album and just thinking I can make it one day. Which album? I'm going to make it. I'm going to like Strip? um, strips. And it wasn't, it wasn't just like, I mean, like I am beautiful. Like that was like a cool song, but I actually loved. Um, Mine was the voice within. That was my favorite. Oh, God. What were, um, hold on, wait. Her, like, that song, Strips album. Was it Sore? It was Sore. Yeah, I know, I know the track list. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, it was definitely, hold on, wait, 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 okay, what song? Um, it was, well, f- fight, fighter. I love fighter. It was uh, sore. Um, singing my song is that it? Keep singing my song. All of her, all of her songs had on that album, especially. I think had like a deeply profound. You can do this message for I think everybody. Oh my god! Just like, just that whole album. Um, Cruise or Cruise is beautiful too. Yeah, mine get yours. It's not like I'm leaving today. I'm leaving it. That's sore. That's yeah. No, 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 no. Wait, wait. Uh, that's actually different. There's two different songs. That part that you're singing is from sore. 
where she's singing about like a boy who doesn't fit in and a girl who doesn't fit in and then she tells them at the yeah, end. Yeah, no, that that's sore, sore, but I'm sore. leaving today, like leaving it. Leaving I think it that today. is sore, is it not? Wait. No, I don't think so. Wait. Keep singing my song, that must be it. Yeah, this one. <laughs> okay. Well, I should know this because I know every single one of her songs. No. No. I think oh, it is. Keep singing my song. I love how you're listening to it. Yes, that song. Wait, this song was. Oh, you're right. Out. It's not sore. Close, but sore <laughs> is really motiv- like it's really motivating and beautiful too. What song is that? It's gonna neck. Speaking of music, are you gonna be making anymore? Because now it's like a thing. <laughs> wait, wait, what? What? Are you gonna be making any more music? Because now people are like into it. You know, I mean, yeah, it's just. I think it's just a question of. Um, you know, what I'm feeling inspired by and what, um, you know, what sort of comes to me. And yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely love to, I think it's, you know, when I wrote those two songs, it was definitely after this like whirlwind, uh, well, one of the songs, like, so is you sort of, you know, that, that true love, I think is, very terrifying you know for for anyone and I think it takes it's sort of like the man in the arena where it like it can emotionally destroy you like if you you know if you don't choose well if you don't make the you know there's just so much to it and it's like and there's so much beauty within that but it does you know if you allow love to like exist in that relationship it only makes you better like if you're doing it right and and so there was this sort of this moment of oh my god we're doing it and then oh my god we're not and so it was sort of like this like love letter to myself and to him at the time of like let love in and don't be scared of it because of the past because of what happened in this other relationship and your other trauma and all these other hang-ups and like you know um because it, it is like allowing love is life and closing that door is death, you know. Um, and then the other song, Run Away, I started writing this song after, like, this other breakup from a previous relationship that was, like, a couple years. And it was sort of, <clears throat> and it was sort of, like, you know, this idea of him maybe, like, running away from himself, running away from his past, running away from like, you know, everything. And so like, I feel like there was a part of that relationship that we, I mean, we just weren't right, but there was also like a part of, you know, be here kind of thing. And like, but you're always running away. You're always running, 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 like from intimacy or running from this or running to this or hiding in this way or, you know, And then it weird. And so I think that that was the concept that I had. And then it sort of morphed into, I was like, wait a minute, this other relationship that I was just in was literally the same. And I was like, so they sort of crossed over. And so it was this weird, like they both, um, 
it was this moment of like, oh my God, this is my pattern. I can't believe I'm, you know, I literally, this is like <laughs> an extension of the same like energy and the same familiar pattern, you know, of like living in the fantasy and, and hiding within that and hiding in, you know, I think that that energy and you can't run away from yourself as hard as you try. And be a challenge. <laughs> what? Who are you telling? I think I've done that for most of my life, like tried to run away from the idea that I can exist as a complete all person. Yeah. No, but I mean, just like from as young as 10, even my mom says it every oh, no, day. No. You talk about your grandpa every day. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm always going to do that. But if I, you said something the other day, like once you tell the story, you can't tell that story anymore. So if I can actually get it put on a script and put it out there, I think I'll always tell the story, but I won't tell it with so much, um, like almost angst. Because even though I'm an adult and he's been gone for a while, I still feel like somebody stole something from me. And I know that I'm not unique in, in my loss or, or, my, or my trauma or whatever, but that feeling I think everyone who loses somebody you feel like somebody robbed you of time or have you seen that film collateral beauty with Will Smith where he writes to love yeah death and no, time? no I, I I think a couple years ago yeah I did that <laughs> and I wanted to send it to my grandpa's old address but my mom's cousin lives there and I was like if she reads this she's gonna think someone's trying to kill her but it was kind <laughs> of cathartic and I think you know moving once I tell that story like maybe you're right maybe I won't feel the need to always carry because it's heavy it's like a chip on my shoulder it's like the same way Tom Brady carries away around this trip that I was 199 I have seven Super Bowl rings but that's still not enough I have that too I think we all have it but like yeah a lot of the things that you've said have just made me self-reflect and think about it's just hard to put it on the page because I'm gonna I know I'm gonna be sitting there typing and crying you know Hard. Well, you know what? Here, here's what's also really interesting because it's like there is um. So one of my one of my best friends, she uh, she's so cool. Where to the point where she's like, I don't, I kind of want to not be so immersed in this matrixy world. So she got like a flip phone. She lives on like a farm with her, like her and her husband, and they're you know she's an artist. She's my writing partner, and so she's finally kind of finding a way to integrate. Um, like Instagram and TikTok and in a beautiful, in the most beautiful way that she can do, which is like sharing like farm life and the beautiful things in which, how she's existing. And I think that that is a really beautiful way to do it. <clears throat> and sorry, I'm still like getting over this like COVID thing. Don't <laughs> like worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and so she, she's just getting kind of back like, trying to reintegrate herself into like I don't want to say society because she never left society but I think like she's you know they live on like thousands of acres of land and you know they live like a more uh, holistic cleaner life and where they didn't you know they weren't inundated with constant information of like Instagram and all this stuff so finally she was like I think I'm ready like it's been years where she's like I think I'm ready to get rid of my flip phone like I think I'm ready to like have an iPhone again and I was like oh my god great so I was like, I'll, I'll just give you mine and then I'll just go out and like get another one. And, you know, so, uh, so I like give her my, like, it was like, you know, it's like the, the 
12 Pro Max. And, um, and so she's like, oh, my God, thank you so much. And um, anyway, so as I was updating my new phone, all the photos weren't updating. Mm-hmm. And she's like, don't you think that that's like a blessing? Because I was like, no, no, not my all my photos from she's like, how many photos do you have on here? I'm like 70,000 photos, <laughs> you know, from like 2003 or whatever. And she's like, Susie, that's crazy. Like, why do you need them? You have them on your computer. And I was like, yeah, but if I want to post something and she's like, but yeah, but don't you think that you're holding on to the past a little too much? Like, don't you think that like, you know, a lot of those memories like are painful. Like, why are you, you know, and it sort of dawned on me that I was like, Oh man. And that the night before, which was really interesting was with some like ex-boyfriend that I was like talking to or like sort of like wanting to stay connected. And it was this realization that I had that you can't like, and we were, we were chatting about this, that it's like, the things that we want to hold on to because we want to stay connected. We want to feel like this connection to whatever, to ourselves, right? To ourselves, to that person, to this idea of like trying to figure out, you know, in relation to, oh, I was this person then and now I'm this person now. And so we were ta- we were chatting about this and I realized that I was like, you know, it's like kind of like driving a car, you're, you're always looking forward, and you're always like right here in the present of driving like the road right here, but then you're anticipating what's to come like the future, you know, but you're not constantly in the future, because otherwise you'd crash, because if you're not looking like right here in front of you, like being present, but then you constantly like not constantly, but every so often you have to like, figure out, you know, look in the rear view mirror and on the sides to know your orientation of where it like where you want to go versus like where you are now versus you know, what's going on behind you, you know, so it it is a process that you always like, you need to know your past so you can continue to orient, orient yourself in the present, you know, and the future. So it's the simultaneous thing, but most of the time you're being present. But I think, you know, there was a moment, um, you know, I, I, I think like the, the greatest thing I did for myself was writing that script of like having this, story and so in the therapy and this is actually what I learned this is a really useful tool of the things that you're like okay this relationship went sideways and because of xyz because the mistakes I made because the mistakes he made the mistakes we made together you know and for whatever reason we weren't compatible or this 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 and like I maybe didn't communicate something well enough or he didn't or whatever but the only thing I could control was my own part in it and you know, my side of the street. And uh, when I was writing the script, there was a moment when she's in the therapy and she's learning these new techniques. Um, And this is not going to probably make it into the show, but there was a moment when she was learning this technique about imagining all these fights and all these really triggering moments that she had and reimagining how she would have handled them like now you know, going back to that memory and changing it and being like, how, how do I, you know, and so in the script, it was like, well, there was this thing that happened and I was a coward or I didn't speak up and say my truth. And I didn't, you know, I could have done this and this and this, and I didn't, you know, say this thing and I didn't stand up for myself and I didn't, you know, and so in this, so this character like reimagines what she wanted to happen 
and mm-hmm. she imagines the conversation that she wished she would have said. And, and it was so cathartic because even though you might not have said it then, you can say it now and you can say it to yourself. So it's like, you're still like, what I've learned is that we're always trying to work out, like, we we don't want something to happen again. Right. And, right. you know, like, how did I fall into that ditch? How did that car accident happen? How did that, you know, terrible relationship happen? And, and how do I, you know, change it so that, you know, I, I, you know, it's like you only can control yourself in the way you move in that world. So it's like, you can rewrite that story, but it was really interesting that it was like this dream that I had. And then the conversation that we were having, she's like, you're still holding on to the past. We're literally in the dream. There was like, I was like talking to an ex and I was like hiding it or something. And she's like, I can't believe she's like, you can't move forward. If you're still holding on to this, like you will stay here forever. And that will be your story. And then literally the next day from the dream that I had, I didn't say a single freaking word about it, but she picked up on it and is suddenly saying the exact same thing that I had in my dream. And I was like, this is so crazy. And then I had to kind of work out, you know, whatever. And and this was maybe partly the, the whirlwind romance that I had where I was working out these songs that I was like, well, what part of me is like him? Like, you know, there was a way in which I think he was, wanting to control everything um and he, you know he said this in his past that he had a way of uh wanting to be the bigger man or the more successful one because then he gets to have the upper hand he gets to control it he gets to like no one's gonna leave him no like and then I was like well how am I doing that in my own like how did I and then I found that I was like oh maybe like this like this part and I found a set like it didn't look the same, um, but there was like a similar thing that I was like, you know, being like, oh, we're f- it's finally happening. It's fine. Like I'm finally having like maybe this is my person and it's finally happening. And instead of when I by saying it's final, I'm actually killing it by by sabotaging like Like, but I said it's finally happening I'm finally arrived I'm finally (laughs) here the love of my life like and by saying finally I'm actually putting in the universe that it's final meaning it's dead so now I've like oh I never thought of anything that energetic thing of it's final it's now become this live thing where you have to let it go it's this like constant process and I think it was a more internal energetic thing that he must have picked up on and felt this immense pressure to be like instead of me just being like all right we're we're going to still figure this out if like we're right for each other or whatever like it'll be a continual process that we're going to have to choose each other every day for however long you know and when I said finally I've arrived like finally I'm here that process it just it went dead in its tracks. It just disintegrated. And the, the words that I was uttering over and over, finally, 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 instead of allowing that energy to be free, being like, well, this is so beautiful and wonderful. I'm so grateful for this. Thank you. Thank you. And I, and a partly I did say that, but a lot of it was like, you know, it was like, um, ah, God, like uh, the land before time when they finally reached the, the the great valley you yeah. know of like ah uh, like 
And I should have shifted my energy instead of finally to like, wow, how Maybe. cool is this? What a cool journey. Well, and what a cool journey to go on. Like if this is like what we're doing and, and yeah. to let it be free and to exist in this freedom because love truly can only exist in this, uh, in freedom, in, in, because you can only love if you're not controlling and, and like if you, the only way to love is to let it go, is to hold it in your hand like this and not like, you know, and so that's energetically, I think what I was doing where I didn't recognize it, I was like, oh my God, he was doing this. And then I was also in some way doing that. So it was like, you know, cause sometimes I think we want to blame people and then we're like, ah, shit, ah, I'm doing it too. <laughs> ah. So it's like, this this whole, you know, and I think that brings us back to the whole patriarchy of everything where it's like we want to blame, but there's also our part. Accountability. You know, our, our, well, our participation in that. Yeah. And we have to examine like our experience first and how we're showing up because how are we attracting that? Like if we don't like something, what you about us attracting it. that? And what about us is like, an, you know, and yeah. so, yeah, I I think – Anyway, this might be a nice place to end it. I could talk to you forever. Like you are someone who's like very special to me. You've shared so much of yourself with me. So you're very special to me. So I want to thank you for coming on here to talk to me, but also because I know there's so many people who are going to listen to this and they're going to feel changed by it. And that's kind of a really beautiful thing. Um, Your movie Love in Bloom is coming out on August 27th. Is that right? August 27th or 28th. I have to look I think it's the 27th because I wrote it down. Um, okay, I'll great. be promoting it, obviously. I'm going to keep promoting your music as long as that's okay with you. And oh, my God, up. please. Um, <laughs> yeah, honestly, like, you have been, I mean, just such a force and just such Aww. a support. And it's been, like, I mean, because of you, like, I've been having all this, like, wonderful uh, success and sort of revigorating um experience with with my music so it's it's been you know and that's like just from you so thank you like I have to commend you for that so thank you like it's well, been thank you such a for joy making. to be on the receiving end of that well <laughs> you know what it's it's a it's an exchange in, in this industry we have to share for one each other one another so again thank you Susie for being here uh like I I adore you thank you for everything you're amazing oh well thank you so are you and uh this was so much fun and yeah I loved um you know talking about art and just humanity and people everything and all of it we're just covering all of it and we'll do it again soon yeah let's do it again sometime <laughs> okay so like I said that's a there's a lot to unpack before I keep going I have to say hello Bobby <laughs> My biggest fan, oldest and dearest friend who will scream and yell if I forget to say hi, Bobby, on the podcast. Um, I want you guys to check out Susie's music. Okay. You can check it out on Spotify. Susie Abramite, S-U-S-I-E-A-B-R-O-M-E-I-T, which is also the name she uses on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. So it's very easy to find her. But I also want you to check out her film that's coming out on uh, GAC Family on August 27th. It's called Love and Bloom, and you're going to love it because she is a rock star of an actress. Amazing human, obviously. You know that by now. So I don't want to do a long 
outro either because I feel like we know so much that you guys are like, when is this going to be over? Um, just want to mention my sponsors real quick. Um, Michael Solberg Family Wines, which you can find on Instagram or on com. Also, Huxware, which is moisture-wicking, camel-toe-eliminating underwear. Um, you can find them on Instagram at Huxware, H-U-X-W-E-A-R. If you have any questions or comments or guest suggestions suggestions for me, you can find me on Twitter at Talks. A-B-L-O-N-D-E-W-H-O-T-A-L-K-S. And I will do my best to answer your questions, reply to your comments, and get the guests that you're requesting. If I sound tired, I am. Um, I've been nursing like a weird eye infection thing for like a week almost, and it's been robbing me of my sleep. <laughs> also have to mention my most important sponsor, Tom Brady and the TB12 method who has no idea that they're sponsoring me, but have been sponsoring me since the beginning. <laughs> um, I'm going to play you out with Susie's song. So is you. The one at the beginning is called Runaway. But uh, yeah, I'm going to play you out with So is you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you enjoy the music and I hope you check out her filmography, which I'm going to list on the link tree with all her music and all her contacts and where you can, um, find her and where you can see uh, her work. So yeah, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Big thanks to Susie for joining me. We had, or at least I had a blast. I hope she enjoyed herself as well. Have a great week, day, night, whatever it is. Take care and enjoy the song. Once again, this is So Is You by Susie Abramite. Stop standing in your own way, just turn on the light You don't gotta figure 